Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Shot One Take One. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Emma Millions. Emma is the co-writer, co-producer and co-director of the desktop film Terranet. I was fortunate enough to meet Emma and work on Terranet for a day and I really enjoyed our chat. Unfortunately, this is the second one that we had because on the first I forgot to hit record on Zoom, which is a real shame, but hopefully this one more than makes up for it. I hope you enjoy the episode. January was so mad um, and like finally got everything delivered today that I needed to. So I'm a little bit um, tired. Ready to celebrate? <laughs> um, I, ready to sleep. So the weekend I've got some sleeping planned. <laughs> right. What was you delivering? Um, it's just I had, um, so I took on all, a lot of work so I could pay for all this um, Terranet bits and pieces. Um, and... So I've te- been teaching two days a week in person at a film school. In person? Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. With people? With people. I mean, they're film students, so they're cool. Um, okay. They're little me's, so um, that's fine. But um, then I, I teach this other thing online as well, and I had to deliver this video. <sighs> work. Lots work, of work. Work, 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 mm. You managed to find... Did you have a haircut? I did. I took an hour <laughs> off on Tuesday to have a haircut because it was driving me absolute nuts. How dare you? You know, when you get to that point where you can't even look in the mirror anymore because it's a disaster. It was that. For me, I mean... Have I you know... seen my hair? <laughs> it looks fine. When you, have, when you have a short style, it there's a day when it just stops being in style it just loses it. Yeah. Um, and I, that happened to me about three weeks ago and I couldn't do anything about it. Um until until this week until this week and i just was like right i'm getting myself off to tony and guy what were you teaching the students so i'm teaching a great module on adaptation oh wow um which is great because um they have a real preconception to what the module is going to be when they come to it and they think it's going to be dull and they're going to have to read books and things (laughs) um and then i just i shake it up a bit and um they've all really really engaged Adapt to like a poem or something? or so I, That's why I said to me, you can adapt anything. So my first exercise is go and find a tweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A diary entry, a blog entry. Yeah. Um, we had an article, a really great idea came out of this article I found, which is about um, this island that belongs to Disney World um, that was around in like the 70s or 80s and it got sort of put out to pasture. It didn't quite go according to plan. So it's kind of like an abandoned disney world on an island and some youtubers broke in and recorded it and i just gave the article to everyone and said come up with your ideas and one of my students had this brilliant idea for um mickey mouse had been put on there by disney um you know because he just wasn't doing it for them anymore so he'd had (laughs) sort of like um been put out to pasture and he'd gone a bit mad and um it was like mind-blowing it's such a good idea yeah so it's a fun module and they're really nice students but it's a bit exhausting. <laughs> How many do you have? How many students? So I've officially got 12, but normally there's a mainstay of about nine that turn up regularly. Okay. That's quite a lot of scripts to go through, isn't it, in an evening? Oh, or Loads of ideas to swing back and forth. So I've met, all made them now. They've had to stick with one idea that they're going to do to the end of the module. But at the beginning, when I'm just getting them to ideas generate, that's a huge amount of back and forth. One idea, another idea, another idea, another idea, which really hurts your brain. 
Do you feel like a naysayer whenever they come up with ideas? Are you just kind of like batting it back to them? Kind of like, no, that, that won't work because of this. No, that's not very good because of this. Da, da, da. Do you know what I mean? Like constantly going, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. Often, yeah, not so much with this module, actually, because they're all mature students and all had a lot of good ideas. But usually there's about five that I have to tell them every single class I've ever taught has pitched me that idea. It's, you know, it's so classic film student and I have things that are banned. I can't, I won't have ideas where you start with a guy is on a chair tied up in the middle of a warehouse. That's (gasps) that's all my ideas. (laughs) That's all of them. Or um, it was only a dream um, oh, and variations of a band. Well, I've written a script recently. It's a World War Two script. I can't remember if we talked about it before. And there are hallucinations, which I was very tentative about and didn't really want to do them. But because it's basically a chamber piece, I had to find another way of kind of introducing other elements. Yeah. And one of the feedback I received was, oh, maybe this character at this point also isn't real. And I just kind of went, oh, is this where we are? (laughs) You know, like in terms of, I don't want to do that. That would be one of my, add that to your, you know, big X list of don't do's is have characters who don't actually exist. Yeah. The ghost or, you know, we've we've seen them all. They've they've been done well in the past. You know, you can't knock... um, the Bruce Willis one that I can't... I'm not going to be able to remember any names or anything. My brain's so tired. Sixth uh, Sense. Sixth Sense, you know. There's yeah. no need for Fight anyone Club. Fight Club, yeah. They did them well. The so Machinist. Yeah, there's been a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, every other student film I watch is basically, uh, oh, and that character didn't is, exist. It is the new, and it was only just a dream. Yeah. That, that character who you thought was that character isn't yeah. that character. So... My script, it's very... You know those characters don't exist. It's not oh. trying to hide anything. What what we're exploring or what we're showing is this guy is losing it. And I'll allow all... you to have it then. Yeah, I, I, I had to find a way where I, even I was a bit like, oh, I don't know if I can make that work. But we know that they don't exist because we've seen them all die. So right, okay. we, we, we know that they die in the first scene. So it's just they're reoccurring kind of... Um, what would you call Like imaginings. Yeah, like he's subconscious kind of eating away at him. Yeah, no, that there's there's a reason for doing that. The the usual it was only it was all just a dream is lazy. It's lazy writing normally. I wonder if it's gone so far the other way though that we can maybe make that work. Do you know what I mean? It, it is such a cliche that maybe it, it's it's time to bring it back and do a really good one. Not in my class, I'm not, I'm <laughs> maybe maybe the title. It was only just a dream. That's actually that was actually a fun idea. I might do that as an exercise next next class I teach, just for the hell of it. See what happens. <laughs> what get them to come up with ideas that were only just a dream. Mm, the dream they... was only just a dream. <laughs> see if they can like bring it back and um, yeah, meta it or something. Come know. up with something unique based around something that's a, a, a cliche. Cliche, yeah, yeah. Because there's no reason why not. It's just. The, the thing about it is it's a cliche because people don't do anything new with it. So they yeah. just, you know, they just repeat. Lazy. It's lazy. Yeah. Yeah. But if you can do something new with it, like basically that's all that Tarantino's based his career on mm-hmm. is cliches that he does something new with. Yeah. So, 
It can be done, but probably not by film students. Right, right, right. <laughs> but are they? You said they were mature students. So what are they? MA. So no, they're BA. But um, it's it's really interesting actually. A lot of them had been sort of thinking about doing it and putting it off. It was something they were going to do later in their life. But the pandemic made them realise they should do what they want to do now. Right. So that's the first time I've had a room full of students that basically were kicked up the butt by life, you know, and... They want to be there. Yeah, they want to be doing it now, not in a future when it probably will never happen. I guess that's super scary for me because that's just an influx of new people coming to the industry but great for the industry because that's a bunch of new voices and potentially new ideas that wouldn't have otherwise been seen or heard before the thing is that anyone can now make content anyone can do it and lots of people are you know tiktokers and all the rest of it i was just thinking tiktokers so we shouldn't be as old practitioners or whatever we shouldn't be scared of that we should be grateful for that that's happening and it's going to really make everyone have to up their game I mean, I was looking, I just saw a trailer for um, Netflix's 20, you know, this, what they're bringing out this year. And it was insane, the amount of films they've got coming out this year that all look spectacular. You've got Knives Out too. you've got all this other stuff going on. And I was like, wow, we live in a world where this is once, one a week they're bringing out of these spectacular, high budget, high end films. Then at the other end, we've got people making 30-second TikToks that blow you away. So it's all good. It's all competition. It all makes us work hard. And But I think that's important. What you said is... is um, Did you say it was competition before? You said it was... Oh, it ups our game. Yeah. And that's exactly how I felt going on to TikTok. Because whilst... I, I haven't got TikTok, but I kind of explored it the other day. Uh, a couple of comedians. I just wanted to see... Like, I stumbled across this guy on YouTube and he was talking about his TikToks and they've had like millions of views, but they're like one minute scenes and not to disparage him or anything, but they were crap, but they've been viewed millions of times, you know, but they're the most obvious kind of like little skits or whatever, but it's kind of like fair play. You're making a go of it. And then you think I haven't had a million views. How hard, how, how hard is it to actually get a million views? So whatever this guy has done. Yeah. And then I started scrolling and I, I didn't get to the end. I lo- I got tired. He'd, he'd uploaded so much, so many videos, so much content, so many ideas. In the end, I just went, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you deserve it, mate, because I can't, yeah. you know, yeah. I can't put out that much stuff. No, it's work. It is work. I mean, I had to understand TikTok. <laughs> I sound like such an old woman. Um, but I made um, a digital... TV show for E4 Digital. And so it was going to be delivered on TikTok. So I had to get my head around it. Um, and you can't, as not, if you're old, you can't use the TikTok app because it gives you epilepsy, basically. It's just so <laughs> fast moving. And it's just like, not like Facebook, which is nice and calm and just pictures of animals and food. Um, TikTok is all, it's mental. But the transitions, that you should, like, if you get a chance, look up TikTok transitions because it's so it's creative editing it's so smart and they do it on their phones which i can't do because it's all too fiddly and small um some of the tiktok transition videos are astonishing really really smart editing i've seen them on facebook if they're the same thing i'll Probably. just put a little note goes like that and then yeah and then yeah. something else happens and then it moves to there they and move da-da-da. it around and yeah 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 really clever editing 
yeah, that's that's when I feel inside. Oh my god, I'm old. Yeah, me too. Because I'm like, I, wow. Like I said I couldn't look at. I can't actually use the app because it makes my brain hurt. <laughs> I so I signed up and uh, within twenty minutes I I uh, deleted the account. I just wanted to see what it was about. I just wanted to see what this whole thing some, was about and yeah, some nice um, useful people put best of TikToks on YouTube. That's the best way to do it is to do that. Someone else has curated it for you. Yeah. Um, that's the only way to do it really because otherwise you'll go a bit mad. It's it's crazy to think that basically now what happens is a new generation perhaps come along and they don't necessarily... It's kind of like, I guess, the invention of writing or like, you know, like a typewriter or the laptop or a pen is that every generation, and we're getting a bit deep and philosophical here, uh, wants... A way to express themselves and if it if if what is currently available doesn't best suit the consensus someone will come up with something and that will be the thing that kind of because maybe myspace and msm messenger were of my generation maybe the telephone before that or email before that then the telephone and, da -da -da, and it goes on and on and on because to me, I, I, my brain doesn't compute that way, so I don't have any use for it. But obviously, the children of today do. Yeah, it's their, their method of communicating their story. Yeah. And everyone's a storyteller now. You know, like you said, some of them are shit. <laughs> uh, these ones were popular, and I thought they were shit. But Yeah, but they're obviously speaking to someone then, right? Yeah, exactly. Who am I when it's had millions of views yeah. to say that it's shit? But often, you have to know that... The, they're really smart. Social um, media people are really smart at knowing how to connect. I mean, I have done a little bit of social media for Taranet, my film, and I just don't understand it. I don't know how you get views and how you get clicks. You know, I've never been someone who's who's chased likes um, or followers, you know, I've got the people I want to follow following me, etc. But you've got to get smart at finding your audience and reaching out to them. So that's what these people do really cleverly that we should try and get smart at it really if we're producing content we're still in that old school mindset of we make something and we give it to someone who will deliver it to all the people yeah rather than going direct which is what social media people do yeah it's almost like they build their audience before building a product because have you heard yeah. of mr beast i have yeah what well, i don't know what that is but i've heard that yeah so it's like a, i believe it's a, i could be wrong and this is an eye-rolling moment because it does make me feel old but um i believe it's like a duo like a, a youtube channel where they kind of do crazy things and the channel's called mr beast i don't know if it's specifically one guy it probably is but there's always another dude with him so it's just them two and they do things and um i guess the point i was trying to make was uh they originally started off as a youtube channel i believe they get millions of views but they opened up a burger chain in america Right. So off the back of their success being a YouTube channel, they've now opened up burger chains all across America. So do you know what I mean? They've built the audience first and yeah. now they're able to kind of go out and do all these other things because and there's the there's like an intro video. I think I think their their big thing is that they give away money. Right. Which is just insane. So this video that they uh, that I stumbled across the other day has had almost a hundred million views, but the video is just them. They've just opened up their first burger. It's obviously an advert, right? Yeah. So that sounds like a lot of money. So they were giving, oh, I haven't told you how much actually. The whole point of the video is that during the first, op the first day of them opening their 
burger joint is that they were going to give away two hundred thousand dollars. Wow. So if you if you queued up, you could probably get like a grand or a few hundred dollars or something, and then the next cut. And that's what the, the whole point was: you get a burger and a few hundred dollars, and that sounds like a lot of money, two hundred grand. But that's a that's had a hundred million views. Yeah, that they that paid for it itself then, didn't it? In, yeah, yeah. Instantly, I was like, well, how much would any other media brand pay for their marketing? Yeah, more than two. More than grand. that, exactly. Yeah. So. All they've done is gone, well, what are we willing to pay for this video to advertise our new brand of burger joints? And someone's probably gone a couple of million. And then, you know, the bright sparks that they are have gone, well, I reckon we could do this for 200 grand. You know, let's just get Matey to film it on his iPhone. Yeah, I mean, and give away paid. the money to yeah, people. To pay for the content. Yeah, done. That was it. That was all it was. They've given away their advertising budget to the people who rock up to the... To the it's fucking clever. Yeah. And and I think that's that's what's scary about these young YouTubers coming up is that they are incredibly clever. Because yeah. no one's thought of doing that. Give away the money to people and then let them be your adverts because they're gonna go away and tweet about it, they're gonna go away and message their family about it and so on. And look, and I'm telling you about it now. Right? Yeah. So it's this clever way of thinking that's gonna make the old school way of broadcasting and making films and everything that we're really clinging on to obsolete because yeah. they're having the, all these really smart ideas. And normally an ad company would tell you, yeah, you need to pay us two million and we need to pay all our people to have loads of meetings about stuff and we'll come up with a clever advert. And they just went, no, and <laughs> a different way. Yeah. Which a, is a, a, a tenth of the budget. Yeah. And got way more views, you know, than... 100 million. That's mind-boggling. And out of that, how many then subscribe to their channel? Yeah, exactly. That will now see... Yeah. Like, I'm going to America at the end of the year. I'll probably now seek out a Mr. Beast burger joint. Yeah. Off off the back of that video. Well, there you go. Good job then, didn't it? I don't think the burgers looked all that great. And the reviews, like, people eating them weren't particularly, like you know, bowled over by them, but just the whole concept has got me on board. And I now, you know, because they are literally just giving money away to these people and you're just like, that's incredible. Yeah. Like changing lives whilst advertising your business. And they could probably get people who they gave money to to make little videos saying what they did with the money and that's perpetuating. Uh, If they, yeah, if they haven't done that. I guess the thing that is really unique and quite appealing about them is that they... I don't feel like they have they have their advertising hat on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They feel very genuine. Feel, yeah, you're not being sold to cynically. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're not thinking that way. And if they are, they're not showing it because it feels really genuine that they're just doing this thing. I mean, they are thinking cynically, but they might also be genuinely doing that thing. You can do both at once. Yeah. You know, they are a business and they've got to succeed. But they've done it in a really smart and authentic feeling way, which is we know when we're being sold to now. That's what advertising's going to have to get really clever because we know when we're being sold to, we don't like it. Yeah. We've we've become savvy to that, especially now with the... Um, we'll talk about... So we'll probably have Mr. Beast adverts coming up on our computers, right? Right, after this if we do. That'd be super um, scary. Because our devices are listening to us and we know it now when we see something. We're like, whoa, Stay away from me, evil brand. Um, Especially yeah. if you have uh, Siri set up and uh, 
Alexa and all that uh, jazz because that that's their way of sorry <laughs> Alexa turn off lights <laughs> because really what they've done is obviously come up with that's that's inc- if that is marketing that's incredibly clever because someone's gone well how can we get people's personal information from them well mm-hmm. let's come up with a device that you have to talk to yep which basically gives us permission to record everything they're saying under the guise that well at any moment you might require my attention yeah so i'm yeah i need to be listening to you it's data farming yeah for sure it's the same with i didn't realize that face app that made you look old or young yeah that's your way of just handing over your image your your image yeah Yeah. and there'll be a small print and kind of like you know do you agree that we mine your information? And there was uh, loads, I remember at the time, loads of people were um, pointing that out to people who did it, and I did it. Just, or I think I did because you one. wanted to see what you look I like. Oh. What I'd look like, right? And, and I was like, <laughs> yes, I know they're data farming. I know that, but I've already got an iPhone. I'm already on Facebook. They've got everything. I don't really care. And if they want to sell my data, they can sell my data. It's been going on for years. So it's another right. company. Yeah. It's like every time you accept the cookies, you're like, I, I do. I think, oh, fuck it. Like, by this every, point. Every day we have to do that. If you want to look at any article, it says accept all cookies. And you just go, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they've, they've got it already. Yeah. And then you were saying about being clever with advertising. I don't know if you ever look at some of these news programs or these news websites that are kind of clickbait. It, it's like... You're trying to see the text that is the actual article. Oh my god, it's a it's a and nightmare. All the adverts are covered moving over, and moves down when you scroll. Yeah, but do you know how good I am at at, at doing that? I don't see a single advert when I'm <laughs> on that website because I know exactly how the adverts have been formatted right. on the web page, and I know exactly what I need to do in order to see the text, so that I'm I'm not even looking at the advert. So you're you're talking about how people have got to get clever. That's not the answer because people just avoid it, right? It's like um, giving a dog a pill that's wrapped in cheese. Yeah. They're so clever that they're going to just eat the cheese and spit the pill out, right? Yeah. So that's kind of what they're doing at the moment with it. And yeah, they've, need, yeah. They, yeah they've, they've overdone it, I think. So, you know, when you watch anything that comes on when you're trying to watch a YouTube video and you've got three adverts you have to watch before. I pay now because it was getting insane. Yeah, it is insane. But I just like look at those brands and think I'm never going to buy you because you're interrupting my life. You're forcing me to watch you. I now hate you. Yeah. Because I want to watch this video and you're stopping me from... Yeah, that's, a good, that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Hate them. So um, all four does it. If you don't pay for all four, if you just get the free version, you're going to see the same advert for the same thing. Normally a car, at, you know, the beginning of the... Then t- t- 10 minutes in, then 20 minutes in, then 30 minutes in... And I'm just like, I'm never going to buy you. I'm never going to buy you. You've pissed me off now. That's a good point. I never thought of that. Maybe what they need to do, which no one has done yet, and I'm going to patent this or claim it as my own, is I come up and say, I'd like to advertise my product to you, but I value your time. So let's get on with the thing that you want to watch. And then yeah. you'd be like, wow, thanks, yeah, thanks very great. much yeah. <laughs> to that guy. Wow. <laughs> say, say, oh, we've booked out a minute advert that you have to watch, but because we like you, uh, we're going to end it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's something to be said, and we should probably segue onto your film at some point. 
Uh, and for anyone who's listening, just so they know, this is the second time we've chatted because uh, stupid me forgot to hit record the first time. And we you didn't have to say that. You could have kept that secret. <laughs> I think it's important to say because this chat's not going to be as good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to talk about now because I'll just feel deja vu that we've already talked about it. Um, oh, you, but you're not thinking about your audience. They didn't hear it. That's true. But I'm not an interviewer. I've already heard it. I'm only doing this for me. So I'm trying to find other things to talk about. No, we um, should talk about Terranet. Okay, try and talk about Terranet. Um, where were we, though? We're just advertising. Because I think... Right, so that's is, this is how I was going to segue onto Terranet, is there are streamers now. Have you, I don't know if you've ever watched a film on IMDb Pro. Yeah. And they've got the adverts, right? And it's basically free. Yeah. As long as you watch, you know, intermittent adverts. <laughs> And I, I can't remember if it was you I spoke to this about or someone else the other day in which the idea, I think oh, it was someone else because I remember, I remember now where it was. The idea of watching adverts throughout a film is kind of the worst thing because you're just getting into it and suddenly an advert comes up and you're yeah. three minutes away from the film. You're having to watch things that are totally unrelated and then you're back into the film and your mind's gone. The whole point of a film is that you're almost unconsciously thinking for an hour and a half two hours so i guess the question i was going to ask you would would you ever consider putting your film onto a platform where that happened knowing that obviously potentially it's going to work against your film because of the horrible uh audience experience yeah i mean i guess it would depend on whether we'd had success anywhere else or whatever it feels to me like when you when you're watching a film on imdb pro it's been out for a long time, right? The ones I've seen have been like oldies, yeah. yeah. So it's then it's your choice. And sometimes you, you want to watch, watch a specific film, you don't want to buy it, then you watch it on IMDb Pro. So I, for me, it doesn't bother me. If I've found myself there, it's because I want to watch it. It's probably for research and I couldn't get it anywhere else free. So, but, I, but I, it is annoying because it does interrupt. And I think that... Um, that wouldn't be the best way to watch Terranet. Because TV is often written, especially American TV, with those breaks in mind, right? Yeah. Whereas your film hasn't been written with clear sort of, you know, transitions between this lift and now we're going to have the first break, bring the audience back down. They wouldn't wouldn't do that anyway. They wouldn't find the, the best breaks in your film. They would just put them at specific times. If you were, you know, looking at Terranet, it has actually got, you know, end, day, end of days, you know, the, the action plays out on a desktop. And so he shuts down his computer and he starts it up again. So that would be the place to put the adverts, right? But they wouldn't do that. It would just be somewhere random. Yeah, I've heard it is literally just what, minute 15 yeah. is where we put our first break. So regardless if it's in the middle of something important. Yeah, it could be in the middle of a scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I guess another reason for pointing this out is I think, what was told to me, and I don't know how true this is, is that American audiences are used to it. So it's becoming a huge platform or a huge way for filmmakers to have their films shown on a platform in America at the moment because right. they don't audiences don't have to pay a subscription yeah. because all the money is recouped from the adverts. Yeah, I mean, that it's, it is refreshing not to have to pay a subscription, right? I mean, I don't know how many I pay Netflix, Amazon, Now... Britbox, Shudder, Apple. You know, that's I'm paying a lot of subscriptions. Wow. Disney Plus? 
Disney Plus. Do you really? Yeah. Wow. That's like a hundred odd quid a month. Yeah. But it's, you know, research. Research. (laughs) deductible. When do you have time to research? Um, I normally watch stuff in bed. So, you know, a good couple of hours then. I, I watch quite a bit of stuff while I'm doing work. So Okay, like sort of in the background. Yeah. Yeah, I had that on today. I was watching Monsters, thinking that it was better than what I remembered. Well, uh, I was trying to watch um, All of Us Are Dead, um, a new, I think it's Korean, on Netflix. It's a horror. Um, trying to watch it. I was trying to watch it and do work. But, but it's subtitled. No, it's dubbed, or you can oh. uh, I put the dubbed version on so that I could do it. And stuff. But right. it's really, it was really engaging. It was more engaged than I thought it would be. I just thought it was going to be um, zombie, you know, fun, just a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, but there's moments of, sort of acting and drama. Genuine moments that made you look up from your work. Yeah, yeah. And some of the gore and stuff is, is I don't normally like fast zombies because I don't think they're zombies. I think that's breaking the rules. Um <laughs> But these, spoke about that the other day. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's a fun watch. So I it, it ended up. I'll, I'll wait watch it later tonight when I'm going to bed. And would you always watch the dubbed version, or will you now switch back to? I'll switch back to subtitles now. It was just because I thought it would just be background fare, but it's a bit more than that. So I'll I'll do it because it's badly dubbed. I t- I tend to. I mean, I think all films are badly dubbed, aren't they? Apart from animations, because you can't really tell that they've been dubbed. Uh, but um, I tend to have films that I've seen a thousand times in the background. Yeah, I so do that. that so that you, you can drift in and out and kind of not be distracted. Yeah. So let's get on to Terranet because we've been talking for half an hour and not actually talked about it. So, again, as I've already said, we, we have had already had one conversation and it wasn't recorded. Um, but I'm going to try my best to give everyone a, an incredible interview because the first one was really, really great. And obviously what was really sad and disheartening about that is that no one's going to get to listen to it uh but this is just a a dry run that was a dry run now we know exactly what we're doing it's going to be clear and concise no half an hour waffling at the beginning of the episode straight totally unrelated (laughs) (laughs) straight to it so i mean i one thing I'm, i'm trying to do with these podcasts is be a bit more structured so shall we sort of really go back to the beginning of where terranet started what the sort of acorn of the idea was and why you um, decided to do it. Yeah, okay. So um, beginning of lockdown, um, so I'm a, a, I am teach at film schools and I had taught uh, a young fella called Radley Mason um, and he um, contacted me during lockdown and said, oh, I've got this script idea that I'd really like to work with you and would you be interested? And because we were in lockdown and I had you know more time than normal, I said yes. Um, so we wrote that script in about three weeks and it wasn't Terranet. And then we wanted to do something else. So um, Radley's an actor and he knows lots of actors and we were thinking what could we do with a bunch of actors who've got a lot of time in their hand and no jobs. So we were planning on doing an online sort of immersive theatrical experience. Neither of us knew anything about doing that. (laughs) Is that what the first script was? So Terranet was an idea. So we made a little film, a little short, that was going to publicise or get, you know, interest in this immersive theatre idea. Right. Then I just thought, 
why don't we just make it as a film? That's what, you know, we're both filmmakers. We know how to do that. We're still in lockdown. Why don't we just make it as a film? So we that's what we decided to do. And then we wrote this original script in five days, which I wouldn't recommend ever doing, ever. Because um, it meant we were basically writing, rewriting all the way through the process, including in the edit. So was the five days... Um from literally the first idea or did you already have a sort of structure? So yeah, we'd been with the characters and stuff for a while, which is why we were able to write it in five days. So we'd come up with the characters for this immersive experience and to make this little short taster tape. So we knew that we wanted um, Louise Jameson to be our presenter playing herself, but a fictionalized version of herself. We'd found the sort of psychic medium character, Glenn Staker, we knew who that was. Um, we knew who Dave was because uh, basically Radley. <laughs> Especially the pervy um, side to him. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but um, we knew that we had this demon, Asmodeus, a demon of lust. So we developed Dave thinking he would be sort of an incel, bit of a pervert because that's the, the right person who would get possessed by the demon of lust. So we had a lot of the world. We had a lot of the, we had all of the world pretty much existing in our head. So that's why it was easy to write. So yeah, the five days were essentially that was the 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 groundwork, the, the typing stuff up, right? Because that's something that I've often thought about, and I often say to people is when it comes to writing, I I think most of the writing is done in your head previous yeah. to yeah. sitting down. Because I wrote, so I wrote a comedy script the other day, and I think I did do it in about five or six days, but previous to that, it was probably about two or three weeks of yeah. kind of daydreaming and kind of like sitting in my car and driving around any sort of opportunity where I wasn't really doing anything. I was kind of building the characters, creating the characters, creating the scenario, having ideas, playing around with them. Cause you're, if you've got a really good imagination, especially a visual one, I play out, I don't know if you do this. I play out scenes in my head yeah. before I've written them and kind of allow the characters to be yeah, and kind of inhabit my mind, which is probably a bit, schizophrenic but you know in the name of writing we're allowed to do it but <laughs> at any time in our life <laughs> we'd be sectioned um, i don't know if it, i mean for, for me it means that i don't go mad that's the reason i don't go mad is because i write there's a point I, to the madness yes because i do that as well what you were just saying i play scenarios in my head about real life stuff as well so you know i'm going to go and have this chat with this person how is that going to go or you know so it stops me from doing that, which is overanalyzing your real life. And I apply that technique, that habit to fictional characters. And so it stops me from going mad. I So people, I know people, people watch. That's a very common mm -hmm. kind of thing to do. But I go one step further, which is that I imagine their life. I imagine the argument going further or, excuse me, the thing that I'm happening or watching. I imagine more of it and kind of yep. where they go next and da, da 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 so i'm i'm very active in that way in terms of and i feel like most of the so i write scripts for a living for actors and they're only like two pages and i reckon i've written over a thousand and i reckon all of them have come from me imagining the next thing yeah of what happens to these two people you know i mean uh, it, as storytellers you can't help but assign a story to somebody that you're watching even if they're two people in starbucks or whatever 
they it says something to us about what they're doing, the way they're acting, and that it, it helps us inform how we do, our, you know, how we write character descriptions, etc., in our scripts. Because you've got to observe these people. Yeah, if someone is sitting in a in a sort of you know side on way or whatever, and there's a bit of sort of abusive body language going on, that says something to us, and we think, well, what's happened there? Or what's going to happen there? You know, they a couple that's about to break up. We can't help it. We're like constantly going story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But not regular people do that as well. Non non-storytellers but i guess we have it channeled to such it. a way yeah 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 yeah. that's what we're doing we're banking it for later yeah it's all material that we then don't have to conjure up from out of nothing we've got starting points and i think that's probably what makes a good writer and a bad writer is probably because i've imagined so many scenarios that if i imagine a scenario when i'm writing a script not to say my scripts are any good but i can i can feel like it's cliche I can feel like it's been done or I can feel like it's obvious and I'm trying to find something new mm. that's something that I haven't seen before or, or an argument that I would like to watch that isn't obvious, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think you've got... To, it's almost like the imagining of scenarios and peoples and characters is almost the equivalent of jamming by yourself if you're in a band. You, yeah. You're keeping your tools sharp, aren't you? Your skills. and So that when you do eventually come to sort of jam with a band, you're not sort of cold and like... Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. So we kind of we are writing when we're not writing, so that when yeah. we do sit down, we're sort of good to go, ready, and not writing shit because you've got to get rid of all of that first, all of the cliche kind of bullshit that happens in order to sort of find something new. What I really love is that um, you're often imagining such utterly bizarre scenarios, but in real yeah. in real logic. So you're saying stuff like, you know, what would happen if an IT guy who hated his job, who was running an online ghost hunt, got possessed by the demon of lust? And that's, you know, a question you have to ask yourself. <laughs> and that's where Terranet sort of formed. That was the... Well, yeah, so it's like, you know, you've got, you've got your monster. So especially for, you know, obviously building a horror movie, you start with a theme or you start with a monster... Most in horror movies, you go, well, I want to make a demon story. I want to make a werewolf story. I want to make a vampire story. And then you have to figure out, you know, how you want to tell that story through which character, you know, is going to be the best person to either be empathetic with or to laugh at or to enjoy their lives being destroyed by a monster. So, yeah, so it's all building blocks, isn't it? And so, David, the character, your lead character, was you and Radley your co-writer, co-director, co-producer, um, you felt like he was the best way to kind of explore your demon. It was the funniest way to explore the demon. This is right. a horror comedy. So, you know, you get a character and you basically throw shit at it and then, you know, help them out at the end. So that's what we do all day is be horrible to characters. <laughs> it's basically writing 101, isn't it? Pick a character yeah. and be horrible to them. <laughs> Just be as horrible as you can to them. And it's so enjoyable, right? It's really fun. So we just wanted to make him, you know, a little bit pathetic. And I mean, you know, it's a, it's a funny, it's a very small horror in that it, it's very contained within this this desktop. It's not, you know, the, the craziest, biggest things that happen to, to, to him. But it's what would, it's disastrous for Dave. And he's in love with this cam girl, so ruining that relationship would be disastrous for Dave. Losing his job, disastrous for Dave, you know. And there might be small things, but they were big for Dave. So, obviously, 
this is where we're going to struggle with this episode is remembering what hasn't already been explained. So for anyone who's listening, Terranet is a, how would you describe it? It's a desktop comedy horror, desktop comedy horror. So everything that we see, the audience is recorded from the desktop of the lead character, Dave. It's like we're on his, we're watching him as he's on a computer. We're we're his eyes. We're we're in him essentially. Um, Apart from, which is a point my p- partner made, we ne- we don't hear him unless he's... On a call. Yeah, on a call, yeah. so a video. So th- we're only, yeah, we're only hearing what's recorded from the desktop. And it's all done through Zoom. It's all done through, like, the equivalent of Facebook and, and Skype and Twitter and YouTube. And we see clips and he's kind of navigating. We see his sort of day-to-day life, right, whilst he's trying to... Yeah. So he'll go organize check this. Yeah, check an email. It will give us a little bit of information. He'll play some music on iTunes. He will then go and check Camda, which is our Camgirl website that we actually created for real. Where um, did you get all the the nudie shots? <laughs> <laughs> they just—they're mostly me. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, yeah. Well, if that's obviously a created website, like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So me and a, me and a, a friend. Um, basically because yeah you can't you have to create your own imagery you can't use anybody else's you know unless you want to pay for it so we had to do it you don't have to pay yourself then do you <laughs> yeah because i thought they can't have googled them they couldn't have gone onto google images and just no save and download no and you wouldn't be able to get anything like that on the royalty free um places which is a really good point to make actually and maybe something we can talk about because i don't think we really did before was how you go about building the world of something like a desktop film, because I can honestly say the the um, the level of detail is incredible. Things that you otherwise wouldn't have needed to do in a regular film, you had to essentially start from scratch and build this entire world that was yeah. on this guy's laptop, which doesn't sound like much, but in reality, I imagine it was yeah. incredible. So something as simple as a yeah. cam girl website must have taken... Well, even it, roping your friend in to take some nudie photos must have been a job. It was a job. And, you know, stuff like um, when you see punters uh, messaging Alex69, our cam girl, so we had to make up all of their usernames and they had to sound like, you know, real men on cam girl sites. And I'd never been on them. You know, there'd been no reason for me in my life ever to go on one of these websites, but I did, you know, for research purposes. Sure. You've got all those token symbols and the noises when someone donates tokens and you've got characters, you know, users and usernames like Billy Big Balls and stuff like that. You know, it's just classic men being idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Pervy. So yeah, we had to build all that. But we also had to make it feel like that Dave ex- had existed online before this film. You know, we couldn't just have things existing from the week up until the film. So we started early on making his Facebook page. Uh, Alex's, or um, the catfish character, we needed her to have at least 2,000 followers. So, wow. <laughs> this, and this was brilliant, actually. So Radley was managing that Facebook page and we put a picture of our really hot actress as the profile picture. We got thousands of men just messaging and sending dick pics and sending porn and sending videos and trying to video call Radley thinking he was this hot woman. So the ending of your film, spoiler alert, is essentially 
Radley, true. Radley, true. what really yeah. Radley went through. Yeah. Just so, just by putting a picture of her on her Facebook page, on a Facebook page, you so suddenly hot, started getting. Picture of her, so a hot woman on a profile. If you're a woman, I mean, any woman on the internet gets harassment from men. You know, you just do. But if you've put a really hot picture of yourself in on a profile, then you're just gonna get all the men sending you their willies. It's insane, isn't it? It is insane. It's insane because if you even stopped for one second to think, what do women want? It's probably not unsolicited penis. I don't think they're thinking in that moment. I think they want someone to participate in their wank, whatever it is they're doing with their penis. And they don't care who it is at that moment. They'll just go, hot woman, penis. Because they're thinking with their penis at that moment in time. They're living a fantasy world, I reckon, in that they think what... You know, not to justify it and not to sort of legitimise it or say that it's 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 fine to do because it obviously isn't. Because I think that see, this is our writer. This is the writer in me, and perhaps this conversation is. I'm thinking person. I'm thinking character. I'm thinking I like to dissect motivations for people because I think that'll inform something that I might write. So this is what I do. So you're trying to find a scenario in which someone would do that, and my I gravitate towards. Their, their hope of what will happen. Mm-hmm. So they've played a fantasy out in their mind, thinking, well, how incredibly cool would it be if she actually replied in kind? Do you know what I mean? Like, I reckon that's what they go, that goes through their mind, is they'll yeah. like me, I like them, they might like me, and if they do, this is going to be really cool. I've, I've thought about this quite a lot, because obviously I have been on the receiving end, and then we thought we put it in this in our movie... So what is the motivation to do it? And a lot of them aren't really thinking, Dan. They're just not. They're just like, you know, they've sent, they've messaged hundreds of women probably that night. Right. Just in the vague hope that someone will respond in some way, shape or form. Or the feeling that they're not alone in their wank, that there might be someone who will join them for a few seconds. <laughs> they're not yeah, properly thinking. There's a scene in Her. Uh, have you seen... Um... Yeah. Uh, where he's like on a call to someone and she's like, you know, masturbating and it kind of, and then she's instantly ends the call. So I guess it's, that's what that was probably referring to this idea that. Yeah. We have sort of deviated away from the film slightly. <laughs> Again. Uh, yeah. So we, but, yeah. We're talking about building um, the online world. So. And your character is one of those guys, because I remember seeing from the messages that you never allude to that you never see but they're in the background of his desktop that he's been messaging people and a lot of them are like who the fuck are you yeah, stop messaging me yeah. <laughs> or him leave going, me alone like that kind of guy you know so yeah we needed to, yeah. It to look like he regularly does this kind of thing you know and you're right you can blink and miss it and we don't pull focus on those they're just there as they would be in a, in a, his inbox um, i think any filmmaker would see them yeah, probably would stop. I would stop and watch. I would yeah. you know, frame hold and stuff, um, which I did when I watched Unfriended. I was which is another a desktop movie. Desktop movie. Do you just want to see how deep they've gone with their character development? Because it's really fun. And this um, is this is a really important lesson because I th- I think it's something that I I even don't do, and I know I should do it, but it's kind of a budgetary uh, constraint. Is is building the world of your character. So because you are essentially starting from scratch, you're kind of saying, well, here's his computer and we need 
you know, 10 years worth of information on this desktop, you had to kind of go back and find this character in such a way. It reminds me of when Tarantino does like, um, he does like, uh, what do you call it? Like autobiographies of his characters. Like he'll write a hundred pages on a, on a character's history, which will only be for him and the actor, but it will inform. Yeah. I mean, what comes next? We got to know Dave really well. Um, if you notice his office is like is a mess and it's got you know takeaway you know leftovers and coke cans and there's wires everywhere like he's been making tech stuff and that was in my house my office turned into dave's office and was like that for about four months in case we needed to do any pickups and stuff Um, and we've just got little things like there's a photo of his nan that you might miss and not see at all and he mentions tiny bit in the film he says when my nan died, and that's why he got into ghost hunting. But it's tiny, tiny detail, but we felt like we wanted to give him something that humanised him, so he wasn't just this pervert. It, it, it's almost too well done, his his backdrop, his desk, because obviously it feels like, and knowing the the project a little bit, and a couple of the rooms were your house, but every, every other room, because we were in pandemic at the time... Um, they were actual. They were the actors' houses, right? Yeah. So you couldn't do as much dressing for those houses as you could do. I sent them all stuff. Um, we checked them all out beforehand and made sure. So Louise's looks like Louise's. You know, doesn't didn't need anything doing. For Glenn Staker, I sent him a poster from his 1991 tour when he was like really famous, <laughs> <laughs> which he's got up on the wall. And I also sent him. An Easter egg, um, basically, for Ghostbusters. The ESP cards, you know, these star wavy lines. So I sent him a picture of that because it felt like that's what Glenn would have. And, um, yeah, I sent him loads of ties with with spooky stuff on. We we did a lot of stuff. But, yeah, we couldn't physically go and dress anywhere. So you had to rely on the actor and... But they were fully engaged and sort of really went for it. So what would you recommend to someone who was writing not necessarily a desktop film, but how they would go about creating a character to that degree. It's, it's got, you look at, so I looked at me, my backdrop and you know, how I come across on Zoom and what does that say about me? And obviously we watched, um, we all were on a lot of Zooms, right? During that time. So I was constantly checking out what people have got in their background and what we can, what we've got that space and what we can do with it. You've got to think about, you've got to believe that that character lives in that room, goes and works at that place, you know, that's their car. You've got to think about it. It's extra stuff that you can use to tell people about your character. We didn't have to fill, you know, the office full up with junk and KFC wrappers and stuff like that, but it worked, you know. And he gets told off at one point. Louise goes, tidy up that shit and lose the boobs because he's got a picture of a topless woman on his wall. And that's, that's a really nice moment because it's like he hasn't even thought about what his space says about him. He's that clueless, not thinking about it. But Louise has looked at him and gone, she's got no respect for him because of the way his space is. He doesn't tidy it up. He does take the boobs down. <laughs> he doesn't tidy up. I think that's something I kind of took for granted whilst watching the film is the is the mini worlds that they each inhabit, all oh. of the characters. And what, like you say, what it says, because I'm doing it to you now. I'm looking at your books on the right there. I'm looking at your 
the poster behind you and and so you are because you know you can only look at someone directly in the eye for so long before your eyes start yeah, you starting at, right so it, it is almost it was almost an opportunity for you to kind of say well you're going to be on this image for about five or six minutes so i need to tell you something interesting in the background yeah because you haven't got any sort of fancy camera moves no. you're not going to go from here to here there's no diamond diamondism in the shots so it's it's portraits almost of people isn't it yeah. there's the zoom the zoom calls so did that come sort of as you were developing the characters with the actors or was that in the script um i think that stuff the it, well, basically is production design as limited as it was that's what it is it came from talking about it with the actors so nico tatarovic he played glenn staker was brilliant in in embracing the fact that glenn staker is a bit of a sad lonely divorcee lives on his own which nico <laughs> also is but he really embraced it and sort of like felt found the best place to sort of say that with his backdrop you know you can tell that he's living alone and he's got his sad poster from the olden days up on the wall and you can I think you can see a bit of a, a guitar in there somewhere you know so you can imagine glenn at night having a bit of a strum <laughs> um and the same with um nigel who played mr namtar netty the enigmatic um person behind all of Terranet. he dressed his place and sat you know we sat with with the camera slightly at an angle so that he was not, not fully on and so he'd have he studied a bit about how business people um, dominate calls so that when he came on a call, he was very, you know, commanding and scary. Um, so, yeah, we've all found it all out together, I guess. Because I'm looking up at you now because you've obviously got your laptop low. And I remember in film school, they kind of taught you that that meant that that character is powerful because <laughs> it feels like you're... Um, down. leaning over me exactly whereas i've deliberately kind of got mine in a more subordinate kind of eye line uh, level it's, it's it's because i've been teaching so i like to have my <laughs> position of power in <laughs> yeah so so things like that were really important to obviously establishing all of your different characters yeah and it goes and i you know i don't mean this in a as a criticism it goes in my mind at least totally unnoticed as it should as it yeah should. exactly so all that work is to kind of just make it feel like that that was Radley's room and that was yeah. that person's room and that's what they've got there. Like, I didn't even think about it. So that is commendable probably because of how much work I mean, must have gone into it. Sarah Castler, the haunted woman, I don't know if you remember, but her, um, we made, so it was here in my house, we needed it to look like she was like redecorating because she was thinking of moving because she was haunted in this place. And so we trashed this area of, of my house and I collected boxes for about three weeks so it looked like she's got moving boxes everywhere I bought some tape of, that said fragile on it that we could tie around because because when we did the zoom with her she had that in her background we were just like that is so perfect because this character is really fragile and it just literally just says fragile <laughs> and our room was chaos and we were like that's what we we're going to bring for this character so we recreated her mental house here <laughs> Which she um, she did laugh about when when she realised what we had done. Sarah did. Abby, who played Sarah, oh, yeah. Abby, Abby, yeah. yeah. So um, you obviously had to use your flat for a lot of the locations. Yeah. So yeah, using what you had available, even during lockdown, sounds like it was key to. Yeah, I mean, project. We we couldn't just go out and 
forage for stuff, could we, back in those days? It's hard to remember now, but we weren't allowed out. Um, so Radley had a lot of wires and things like that, and I scurried them up from somewhere. You know, you've always got a big, big box of wires that you don't know what are for, <laughs> cables and things. I've got a few drawers of them. Yeah, so we just pulled out all of those and just shoved them around, and I got, I you know, very... Um, heroically for the for the film got lots of kfcs so that we would have rappers you know you have to do these things (laughs) (laughs) yeah the things we do for film eh yeah so do you think that the restrictions benefited you because you had to sort of think outside the box and think about how you were going to do things the unconventional way yeah definitely i mean the whole thing wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for lockdown you know it just wouldn't have happened so yes and then um I did a lot of ordering from Amazon Prime. One thing we should sort of establish as well is that this was your first film. Obviously, you're yeah. on my podcast, which kind of means that we're, we're sort of talking about your first film. But before that, you were mainly a TV developer and yeah. a ki- kids writer. Write for kids TV, write for sketches, sketch shows and stuff. So um, what drew you towards making uh, a feature film? I was always going to do it at some point. Um I started off life as a filmmaker, making short films with my Super 8 camera back in the days before mobile phones and YouTube. Um, So I would have always done it. I just got, you know, like all of us, got waylaid by life and making a living and stuff and floating around from either writing scripts, then into TV development, then into a bit of teaching and all of that. And you just don't have time to make a feature film. And then we had all the time in the world. So we we need a global pandemic every couple of years (laughs) how did you find firstly casting a film during pandemic and directing over zoom directing actors challenge um so radley um knows pretty much they're all radley's friends (laughs) right okay so you didn't go through any sort of traditional open casting call for a couple of the characters we went on we did the mandy sort of search and um asked around so um, we've got some really bizarre moments, like um, when Demon Dave turns into a facsimile of Louise's dead dad. So we needed an actor to play Louise's dead dad. <laughs> um, we've got like newsreader character at the end. Uh, um, oh no, again, Radley knew Lauren. Um, yeah, friends of friends, and you know that kind of stuff mostly. So if any actors are listening, networking, you've got to start. Absolutely, yeah. Cancel your. Mandy subscription and start yeah. networking. It's who you know. Do you think you going back would have done it any other way? Not the casting. I think I think they're all great. We wrote a lot of the characters back around the actors when we knew who we were getting. Like originally, um, Nigel, the Mr. Namtarnetti character, was going to play Glenn Staker, but we realised that he's just too commanding. Um, and we needed Glenn to be a bit, you know, sort of like a bit soft in the head and not, you know, not be very, he's a man that's been damaged. He, he was, he was a successful psychic medium in the past, but he got exposed on national television and he's been butthurt about that ever since. So we needed someone who wasn't commanding like Nigel is really, you know, he's very scary as Nam Tonetti. He's, he's a big voice. Um, so we swapped around them. What we would do differently is sound. So, yeah, talk to us about that, because obviously you had to record 
which I still don't quite understand, as 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 you've kind of gathered, yes. recording on Zoom <laughs> isn't my forte. Um, yes, and I don't think we talked about this on Monday, actually, and I did think about it afterwards, that I should have talked about our process. So um, our brilliant editor, James Allen, um, had a system called OBS on his, uh, his edit place, where he edits from his home, but he's got really, you know, he's got great edit kit, better than my little laptop. So it's an outside broadcast system for recording, really, but he used it to record the, the feed from Zoom, and we'd spotlight each individual, do a, do a take, and then spotlight another person. So we had gallery, and we had individual spotlights for everybody. We sent everyone mics, so they weren't just using their, you know, because some people are old and got rubbish computers and stuff, so we sent everyone mics. What you get is echo. You know, so you're trying to cut, if you were trying to cut this, you would need me to stop talking before you talk. And, you know, there's a, we didn't know that we'd have so much echo, so there'd be a lot of clean up in terms of sound. Because you can hear me talking on your laptop. So if there's a microphone in your room, then it's going to pick up not only you, yeah. but my... So when I'm actually recording even live actors and there might be an interruption in the script, I always tell them, don't interrupt. Yeah. I'll do that in the edit. But obviously what you didn't have is the luxury... To cut away to a different shot. No cutaways, man. Right. That 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 killed us because we did hack into it. Um, Radley is brilliant in the edit. He's a brilliant edit producer. Um, he can see when where we just don't need stuff that um, me and James would be amused by and would probably have kept it in. Radley was just like story Nazi. We don't need that. But that meant that everything looks a bit jumpy and jump cutty. And we did things like pulling the yellow box over to someone else so it would draw attention away from the jump that works uh, i definitely did do that a couple of times i followed yeah, it yeah um and james did this um there's this technique called morph morphing so you can morph from one edge of the cut to the next so it looks seamless a lot of the times that didn't work i think you said you you might have noticed one yeah but i'm you know i'm in the industry and i yeah. kind of know the tools so i had to go back and check it wasn't as obvious as oh obviously they morphed that but uh, yeah i went back and checked but also we you've got the brilliant um zoom and video calls drop out a lot of the time or they glitch or people freeze so there's a lot of moments yeah, and that, where people's characters freeze and it looks natural right we're used totally to it. believable yeah and james did um a brilliant thing he put little bars the three bars um in the corner of their zooms and so if we needed someone to look like it dropped out we'd make those bars go red as it does when your signal is is weak um we actually have a moment, I think, where it completely distorts and it says her Sarah's internet has dropped out or, you know, the, the, the message that pops up on Zoom if someone's internet is rubbish. So we played with all that. We used... Zoom was a hindrance, but we also gave us a lot of things to use to our advantage. I can honestly say, I think 99% of the time I didn't notice. Like I couldn't tell you where the cuts were. So something we should explain for anyone listening, because they're Zoom calls and it's a desktop film, essentially everything looks as though it's being done in in real time whereas obviously in film you cut to a different shot you cut to a wide you cover the scene whereas you were very locked down by essentially what we're sort of looking at now which is the person on their laptop and it firing back at them so you talked about before uh you would do one or two takes with with the script and then on the third take you'd let the actors kind of improvise yeah and you said that actually most of the time you went for the improvised take, but obviously 
you if you wanted a little bit of take one and a little bit of take two and a little bit of take three, you had to find clever ways in which within the shot you could cut between them yeah. without without going anywhere. Yeah. So what we're sort of saying is the glitches, the little moments that the internet drops out when you pause or have a little moment, that's when you can kind of like just highlight those and and cut to a different take. Yeah, and you can also be like really smart, like I said, draw attention away by having something happen in another square on the screen and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Our character, Dave, at one point goes and checks Facebook when he's in the middle of a Zoom call, which is just covering up a massive... Yeah, he, he, he clicks away. That's a great way. Yeah. So were you struggling at that moment, like, oh man, these cuts don't match and what well, are we going to do? We knew that we wanted him... So he's distracted because he's thinking about this cam girl... Um, so we wanted to show that anyway, but it just happened to be a fortunate device that we could then use to cover up a cut as well. And it and it's character driven. Yeah. Very clever. Who come up with that? I think so. Me and Randy just really worked hard to think about how we could keep this desktop interesting. You know, um, so that's why we've got so many different devices. You know, we've got Zoom, we've got Skype, although it's not Skype. We've no, covered sorry, that. Yeah. <laughs> not, not allowed to say that. Um, we go on YouTube. It's not YouTube. Um, and we do all that. We, we, you know, we just kept thinking, what do you do on your laptop during the day? You know, just to keep it interesting. So that's why we've got him scrolling through iTunes, and on iTunes, there's a load of um, made-up band names and and song titles that are there to amuse you. Um, what else does he do? You know, I mean, now now you'd have him go on Wordle, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't really understand what that. I still don't understand what that is, but. I mean, it's just, it's like they, the guy who made it up, he made it up for his girlfriend or his wife because she was bored or something. He's just sold it for a million dollars to the New York Times. Wow. Like within a couple of weeks of this thing going viral. It's just a word game. It's really simple. It's really nice. Um, but that's very distracting. Really distracting. Well, you can only do one a day. Oh, really? Yeah, they have one a day. So that's brilliant. So you can't lose yourself into Wordle. You just go and do your Wordle. Oh, I've got it in free goes. I'm going to share this on social media so everyone knows how clever I am. Um, and then you have to wait till tomorrow. And then you get on with your life. That's so, yeah, really we, would have, we would have Dave doing, you know, the, the words he was guessing would be very Dave, you know, like breast or something like that. <laughs> Tits. <laughs> Tits. <laughs> Wouldn't that um, be great if social media was a, a one post limit? Yeah, you could only go on it once a day. God, you would save that up, right? You, if you could post so i remember watching a a documentary about a photographer when photography used to be uh you know 35 mil uh celluloid i guess yeah yeah like proper actual film and he said he could only afford one shot a day this is a really famous photographer so he would walk around the whole day and look at where he thought he wanted to take his shot he would look and think right okay where am i actually going to take this oh. one shot i mean it's the same as um shooting on film right when you shoot digitally you just you're shooting hours just hours and hours but when i first made films on super 8 i had one chance you know i couldn't super 8 film was really expensive to me you know because i was just a 15 year old in the 80s um so you just you really think about what you shoot and then editing on super 8 you actually have to cut and stick things together so you're going to be really, really careful about this. You know, on my premiere now, I can mess around and try out loads of things and then just undo changes, undo changes. You can't undo changes when you've cut a piece of film. 
you've literally snipped it. So it does teach you to, you know, I, I love, film students all love film, don't they? They've all got a massive hard-on for it, but um, it is a good way of learning your craft. Personally, I don't know why. I mean, I do know why, but I don't know why. Because as long as you're not abusive towards digital in that way and treat it like it is film, treat it like it means something, treat it like... Especially with 4K and 6K now, it's almost going back to filmic kind of yeah. standards because you can't you can't just run 4K for, like, hours. I mean, you can because right. you can buy, you know, SD cards that are, like, 120-odd oh. gigabytes. Yeah. But you still have to think about it because then that storage space... You know, I shoot a project for a day. That's like 100 gig. Yeah. So uh, you have to be a little bit more conservative. So, we, yeah, slowly we're kind of getting back to that idea that... Yeah, I mean, we, we we shot on 4K. Um, so for me to capture all the desktop stuff, we had to put it through a 4K monitor, so I had to buy a 4K monitor. And then we had that problem with footage and storage. So I can't, I don't even know, know what we spent on hard drives. It's a lot of money. So did you have to record, let's say there was a scene of five characters. Did you have to essentially shoot the wide, which was the the gallery view? Gallery, yeah. And then would the actors have to do the take five more times so that you could do individual? Yep. Oh, really? <laughs> so yeah. you couldn't pick... So from the one wide, you wouldn't also get the individuals? No, we'd, do, we'd go, right, we're going to do a Glenn Stedker spotlight now. So we'd do the whole scene again with Glenn in spotlight. Right, wow. that's I didn't realise that. I thought from shooting gallery mode, Zoom would also give you them all individually as well. No, you have to... You know, um, you might not know this. You, you hover over the little square and there's a little blue box in the corner with three dots. You click what, on that. What square? So hover oh, more. Over. It says more. It says, it says mute, and then there's yeah, probably says. If you just click on it, it might say more. It's got three dots for me, um, and then you can pin. Hmm. No, I, I must be looking at the. But maybe it's only because it's you and not like. Um. No, if you hover over your, well, yeah, hover over mine, your mouse, and the little blue box should come up in the corner of the screen. No. No. No blue box. But, oh, uh, uh, under participants, now I get a more and then I get a pin. Yeah. Right, so, so I've pinned pin. you. So now I'm spotlight. So Zoom would only, when you watch this back, it will just be me. You'll wait, you won't be on the, the recording. You'll be able to hear you, but you won't be able to see you. But it does say allowed to multi-pin. Yes, you can multi-pin. So because I, I in my other job, I do interviews with people um, over Zoom and put them into videos and so sometimes it's one person, sometimes it's it's two. I have to, it's like um, vision mixing. So I'm going spotlight, now spotlight that person, you know, live. Basically. So you're essentially, yeah, editing live. Yeah. It seems strange that they wouldn't, is it just because the file sizes are too big, do you think, that they'd have to give you, you know, if we had an hour long conversation, there was four of us in the room, that's four individual files that they'd have to give us. Yeah. So yeah. it's almost like you just get one, you pick where you want it yeah i mean i guess you know when they created zoom it was just a video call app it wasn't going to be you know changing our lives in the way it has or used in the way that it has been um and they've it's got better you know and they've done different things as they've realized people are using it to record videos and stuff 
Um, I think they kind of knew a pandemic was coming because I remember them being advertised a week before the pandemic. Yeah, and I I was like, "What? What is this Zoom thing?" And then a week later, suddenly it exploded and everyone was on it. Yeah, I know it's hard to imagine there was a time before Zoom, but we used to just do Skype. That's what we used to do. So, Uh, do you think making a Zoom film has stood you in? A better situation than if you'd made a regular live action film. I've learned a lot. It was possible to do it during a pandemic, during lockdown. It focused a lot on story and character, a huge amount. And I think I said to you on Monday, I feel like it's a really good exercise to tell film students to make social media for their character. Because um, then you have to get to know them. Or just, you know, just tiny he has a mug that he drinks from through the film and I don't know if you can see if you've seen it or you remember it but it says something like um, every time you yawn a ghost is putting its dick in your mouth and it's just like little things like that what mug would you know Dave use and that seems like classic Dave because it's a little bit pervy and it's about ghosts and stuff so you know it's really having just this thing to work with just this square box really did focus my attention on character and, you know, having paid for it, been the producer and having paid for it, I'm now going to write scripts where there's no extra fat. There's no, you know, I'm not shooting. We've had to cut out stuff that broke my heart because it's spent, I took two days making a thing to go behind a person, you know, and I spent money on it. I'm going to do that in the writing stage now. I'm going to cut all the fat that we don't need. Yeah, one of the things, not to keep, obviously saying this but one of the things we talked about on monday was how making terranet and to the extent that you were finding the edit as you were going and finding the scripts as you were going has informed your script writing loads of things about this as for my script writing i'm definitely never putting a brand in a film ever again it's too much of a nightmare um character names do your research google everything that you put in a script because someone might sue you and you don't want that to happen or cost you more money to get um, errors and emissions insurance if you want to sell it um definitely be as come into a scene as late as possible and go out as early as possible definitely you you think as a writer that you need to set up oh the phone's ringing they answer it you just come in in the middle of the conversation you know just get to the bit what that's needed no this hello how are you (laughs) like how's your week going yeah, you don't need any of that. It's like, I'm going to murder you. Bye. That's it, you know? <laughs> there was also something that you said about how before... Was it to do with producing? Producing the scripts. Before, you wouldn't... That wouldn't be a thought. You would allow the writers to kind of, you know, follow their imagination, see wherever it got, and that would be great because there's your script. But yeah. now it's like, well, remember, you've you, someone's got to produce that. Maybe not you, but in order for you to sell your script and have your script picked up. So a producer is reading your script and going, ka-ching, 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 can't do that, can't do that, how much would that be? So if you want to, you know, sell your scripts, unless it's a total blue sky, you know, mega budget thing, you're just chancing your luck, make it makeable, you know? Just like you said, you'd asked for scripts for your... um, hobbyist kind of like um, the film society collaboration yeah, film thing society collaboration and it's got to be obvious anyone reading your shout out for scripts that you aren't going to have a massive budget 
But people would send you their scripts anyway that you couldn't do. All of them? Yeah. I don't think we received one that we could do. I mean, that's crazy. And I do think a lot of it is writers going, I'm just going to send it to anyone that asks to see a script. But that is a black mark in your, in your head against that writer, right? I, I don't know if it's as drastic as that, but I'm I'm not going back to them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, their thought process is, uh, it's a brilliant script I've written. So if someone just reads it, they're just going to want it, even if it's not right for this project. But that's not what producers are thinking. They're really busy people. They're looking for a reason to say no. And you've just given it to them in bucket loads. And they're not going to ask to see your other scripts either. You know, they're just not going to make a connection with you. Especially because it sounds like you've been ignored. Yeah. Like I said, low to no budget. Literally very specific about what I wanted. And they yeah. just gone, well, they don't know. They'll read my script in anyway and they'll love it. And, you know. And I did have another comment from a guy, again, not, not to disparage him or, or say anything negative about him. But he, I, I then thought, because I was getting frustrated with the scripts that we were receiving, I made up a little sort of um, dogma-esque kind of guideline of things we could and couldn't do. And the scripts must contain this and da-da-da-da-da. And it is pretty brutal, but then it's like, well, if I'm not this brutal and if, if I'm not this honest about what we can achieve on no budget, people are going to go away and write a script and I'm only then going to tell them yeah. in, a, in a month's time, two months' time, when they've spent you know all that time in a darkened room writing it, that I eventually go, oh yeah, sorry, we actually can't do two hours of car scenes. So I've I've been super brutal and said you know all of the things that I think at least came to my mind. And he said, give me... Again, I hope he doesn't listen to this because it was a throwaway comment, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, give me a haunted house and I'll write you a great horror. But my reaction to that is, well, give you a regular house and write me a great horror. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Why do you need the setting? Why do you need that 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 easy out of, well, anyone can write a great horror in a scary house. Yeah. Try, try and write me a, a scary horror in a house that everyone lives in. Yeah, because if you can do that, that's going to be a great script. Because it's, yeah, it's going to be scarier, right? Because yeah. it, the house looks like ours. It doesn't look. It hasn't got a big staircase with gothic cobwebs and all the rest of it. It just looks like this, and that's scarier because it's relatable. It's strange how yeah screenwriters typically don't think about their scripts being produced, which is absolutely mental. It's the equivalent of when the Beatles decided to stop touring. You know, they could do whatever they wanted in the studio because they never had to play it live. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They they could literally loop things and kind of have like eight tracks of whatever going on in the background because they didn't have to hire an orchestra to play it. But yeah. if we're in the business of, well, script writers are essentially pointing the way towards something, it's not a novel, so you want it to be made. Yeah. So if we're not thinking, how is this going to be made? Yeah. No, no producer gonna, is going to touch it. No, and, and, you know, if you're going to go down the route that I did and make it yourself as well, then you've got to be realistic. There's no point writing that you're going to the moon if you can't deliver that, on you know, on the budget you've got or the resources you've got. At what point did you realise how much was this going to cost? Did you have a figure in mind and then it and then it sort of moved on from that? Or, yeah, yeah. what was the process in realising? So I knew I had um, a certain amount of savings and I knew I could get a certain amount in loans. So I got like a 15K bank loan. Um, and I had a figure in my head that was going to be around sort of 30. That's what I thought. Um, and it kind of was that, but without 
fees, you know, so we've got deferred fees and stuff that have bumped up the budget to almost like 70, but it's still super cheap, crazy cheap. Um, For a project that's paid everyone, essentially, yeah. right? Pretty much apart but from the odd favor here and there. Except for, so I think me and Radley are the only ones that didn't get paid yet. Deferred uh, fee. Yeah. It's, um, Pay in lieu. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm hoping we make enough money back to pay those deferred fees. Um, my lawyer also deferred his fees. Thank God. That's an amazing, brilliant lawyer, Malcolm. Well, fingers uh, crossed you guys make the money. And yeah. And it sells and you do get paid because. Yeah, and that's one of the things that kept me going. There are times when it was like, it was such a slog in post. It was so hard. Um, and before, when we had sort of placeholders for the desktop stuff and it'd just be white words on black saying, desktop stuff happens here. It was really hard to see whether it was working as a story. And there were a couple of moments where it was just like, we were on edit eight or something. And I was like, this just isn't coming together. Maybe we should cut our losses. And I thought, well, then, then... Nobody is going to, you know, the people who've put all this time and effort into it aren't going to, definitely aren't going to get paid if I stop now. So if in order for them to get paid, I had to keep going. And then I just, you know, crossed a line where there was no way I was going to stop until it was done, even though it nearly killed me. Just kept going. Because the hours you were putting in right towards the end oh must have been God. insane. This last push to get it to the sales agent, I have been doing 20 hour days. Yeah. Does it feel like it's gone yet? Does it feel like... We've done everything and we're just waiting now for the sales agent to do the last draft of the contract. But I just want it to be done. So I know I've got to go and sign the, the legal papers, deliver the hard drive to the sales agent, um, and then it's gone. And then, you know, obviously I'll be having to do publicity and stuff for it as well. You know, I'll be on social media going, watch our film. Um Doing shitty podcasts like this. Doing shitty podcasts like this. <laughs> Hopefully not twice. <laughs> Hopefully not twice. Every time I do one, that would be a nightmare. Like, can you make sure you're recording this, please? Because I don't have the time to keep talking about it. Because one thing that has obviously become very apparent to me, and I've only done five or six of these chats now, is just the sheer amount of work that goes into making every film. Because mm. people are doubling up on roles. So it's not as if you're writer you know, or producer or director. Yeah, all of these things, as well as catering, as well as production design, as well yeah. as uh, all of the post stuff that doesn't even really get credited, like production manager maybe, but all the contracts that you're talking about, all the deliverables, yeah. all of the getting rid of Skype and Facebook logos and replacing it and da-da-da-da-da-da-da and all of the things that I'm pretty sick of a script once I finish writing it let alone filming it, directing it, editing it, publicising it, talking about it. I'm not sick of it at all. And you would have thought, you know, because I have watched this movie hundreds of times. I have watched it through several times, frame by frame, which you can imagine that takes hours and hours and hours, but I had to check all the desktop stuff. And I'm still laughing at bits. There's still bits that catch me off guard, that make me laugh, that I'm really pleased with. I mean, there's, there's one bit, <laughs> laughing just thinking about it. Um, you get to see a little promo for Terranet that Dave has obviously made himself for the website, the Terranet website, but he hasn't quite finished it. And there's a placeholder title that says photo of Glenn Staker here. 
which was initially just literally a placeholder, but it made us laugh so much we decided to keep it in. And every time I see that, and there's a bit where Radley sort of holds up a spirit box, a ghost hunting thing, and he looks like such a nerd. Um, and it, those, it just makes me laugh every single time. When we got to the point, Radley could literally do the whole movie for you with everyone's accents, everyone's voices. He could do the whole movie for you off the top of his head now because he knows it all. We talked about this potentially being something that a service that he should offer yeah. to filmmakers to have their script sort of played out by Radley doing all the yeah. different voices so that you can kind of watch your film before. <laughs> yeah, or at least you could it. hear it. You could hear whether it's working or not. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's probably a really good service right I, I i would pay for it genuinely i would because i think a lot of people it kind of table reads right but then you don't have to get 20 people in the room you don't have to yeah. hire the room you don't have to do all that stuff you can kind of just have one person do it record it and listen to it i mean I, and... he should seriously offer that service because he's really good it his voices do really change so it doesn't wouldn't feel like you're listening to the same person doing voices um but do you think he was particularly good because it was his script well, just because we'd watched it so so much and also people that he knows, you know, so he's worked with Nigel and Lou and, you know, that. And he can then, do impressions of. And they all actually are quite impressionable. Like, um, Nico's got that that Yorkshire kind of dry sort of thing. Um, and then Nigel was all very, Dave! <laughs> <laughs> and he is an actor, so he's used to performing. So. Yeah. Yeah. What's the secret then to being in love with your film even after what you what would you say? Uh coming up to two years? Two years nearly, yeah. Really close to two years. Um I think so I just had a ball. It was a it was an absolute adventure. It was something I've always wanted to do and I did it in this crazy time, you know, pandemic, bloody hell, what was going on in the world, which could have been awful, but I had a blast. I had a really good time. Um I've worked really, really hard and I'm really proud of myself. It's a massive achievement. And it's just really fun. It's a funny film. I think so anyway. So I can't see any reason why I wouldn't still be in love with it, you know, after another thousand viewings. That's a lesson to be learned. I always loved this film. I made a film. I made a feature film. This is I get, I get to say my movie a lot of the time and I talk about it all the time it's like when I was doing my movie <laughs> um and even to people who aren't particularly talking to you or want to know about it well I'm only ever talking to film students and you anyway <laughs> <laughs> right right fair enough my the, movie the guy um, who drops your shopping off <laughs> yeah no don't tell them because you know I will do when I've got oh, the, DVD copies I'm trying to get them to take yeah. um this is my movie I, I don't see what's not to love, right? What's not to love? Well, I, I think there's something to be said for the fact that you went out and made a film that it sounds like you would want to watch. Yes. That it, it it didn't really think about things like, well, tell me if I'm wrong, but markets, audiences, um, you know, social issues. You know, you're not trying to lecture people. You're not trying to, like, change the world. You're not trying to answer some political debate you're not suggesting that there's a a group within society who needs you know uh, a spotlight you kind of went well no i'm going to make this film for me and this is what i would want to watch this is the script i want to make and we're going to direct it in such a way that we find interesting and just hope that it connects to a wider audience 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I did do quite a lot of research when we started doing this this process, and I watched a lot of low budget horror comedies. There is a lot of stuff out there, but it's stuff I would normally watch anyway. Um, absolutely, I would tell if somebody pitched me this film, I would say, well, it's got a white male protagonist. <laughs> Bad at the moment. Um, yeah, it's really small. You know, it's a pervert it's... white male protagonist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's got, yeah, tits in it and all this kind of stuff. I'd be like, why are you making this film in this day and age? It's terrible. But we didn't think about that. We just, what did we have? We had Radley, who's an actor, so he was obviously going to be the main character. We you did didn't want of... him blacking up, really, did you? No, not, nothing like that. That would have been bad. <laughs> Even worse than having him as white was having him yes, not that white. Yes, that would be worse. <laughs> we did think about, you know, we, we, we've got a, a lot of women characters in there. Um, and the the male characters are idiots and the women are not. Um, I take umbrage with that. <laughs> I think there's. I think the film lacks th- three dimensional male role models. Well, I think, you know, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I think Glenn's got a bit of depth. You know, he was. You know, he's scarred for life for, for being outed as a fraud. And then you've got Jack Solomon. No, they're all idiots. The men are all idiots. Um, <laughs> Isn't that the case though? You know, yeah, the yeah. guys are now the full guys. Yeah. It's yeah. as it is in real life, right? Yeah. Um, so we did think about the female presence and we did think about diversity because we do have some diverse actors in there. Um, but yeah, we just made... It, me and Radley both love Ghostbusters. It was a homage to Ghostbusters. It was our British small pandemic um, love letter to Ghostbusters. Yeah, he talks about it a lot, I think, when I saw him previous... But not the yeah Ghostbusters. Um, not the rec- this recent time, but a time before he was talking about the fact that he'd watched Ghostbusters a hundred times before and was trying to kind of vibe it out and get a sense of that put into the film. Yeah, there's definitely. I mean, there's hundreds of references shoehorned in there. But we did a lot of there was a lot of accidental ones as well. There was a lot of deliberate references, but there's some just came out naturally. That just because me and Radley have both watched that film countless countless times have you seen after life is it after life or after yeah what do you think oh that's oh that's not good mm. no is it not mm. oh to be fair i started watching it and turned it off after 15 minutes because it had no reference to ghostbusters at all <laughs> so i was just well, i was thinking what are we watching it's just a load of people walking around it's uh it feels very stranger things influenced um i you know it's just Sorry, I, I love Ghostbusters so much. I love it with all my heart. And this didn't have the same amount of love put into it as it could have. And it's just really sad watching, you know, you didn't get to the end, obviously, when we get to see the old Ghostbusters. I've heard. Yeah, I've heard. And they're not the same, you know, they're old and fat and all the rest of it. It's a bit sad. <laughs> My partner says the same thing whenever we watch something like that. She says it's it. She doesn't enjoy being reminded that people get old. <laughs> Your heroes as well, people that you've watched that are immortalized in the eighties because you watched them at that stage, and then you're smacked in the face with, no, they're actually really old now, and one of them's dead, right? Um, but he's in it. So it's a nice feel-good moment at the end where you're reminded about how one of them's dead. There's ghosts in it. What would you what would you advise anyone who's about to start um a feature film? 
What would only be your sort of take home? Only do it because you have to do it. Don't do it if you just kind of think, oh, I kind of think I want to make a feature film because it's going to kill you. So you've got to love it. You've got to love it. It's going to take all of your time, energy. You're going to hate it at times. You're going to be crying because there are certain things you're not sure how to do. You're going to be crying because things are going to cost more than you thought they were. You're going to be, you know, up late ordering hard drives off Amazon. So you've got to love it. You've got to love it. Otherwise, it, it there's no there's no point for you doing no point killing yourself if you're not going to love it. How many people do you meet? Do you think actually love love it? Because obviously you talk to a lot of students, you talk to a lot of screenwriters. How many of them that you meet do you think? Um. So the writer friends I have that have been with that I've known for a long time all still love it because you have to love it to keep doing it now because it's torture, right? To be doing it for 30 years. It's banging your head against a brick wall. Um, I'd say about 75% of my students love it. And I can tell instantly the ones that don't and that aren't going to go on and be in the industry. That's still quite a high percentage. I was expecting it to be the other way. It's because I mostly teach writers. And right, so they haven't been battle-hardened by how difficult it is to produce. <laughs> yeah. They live in this fantasy world of their comfortable yes. uh, writing rooms, which I can say because that's where I spend most of my time. But and to then actually go out... And hard work is different to a production version of hard work. I mean, writing is really hard work. It really Mentally, hurts your head. Yeah. yeah. But it's not literally on your feet for 20 hours, running around, you know, trying to pick up a mic from some. You know, it's not... Solve problems. Yeah. You're solving character problems and story problems, but actual problems and dealing with other people who are all looking to you to solve the problems and want you to feed them and want you to get to where they're going and come from and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, yeah, it's hard work. I hate people and I had to be involved with a lot of people. <laughs> but you love people now, right? It sounds love, like you're... I love my people that I keep in my world. I don't like people in general. I hate people in general. They're awful. The general public. <laughs> so you're going to keep a little troop of like uh, filmmakers that you've worked with, and you'll, it'll be very hard to get into your inner clique. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really important to work with people that you find lovely, that um, you know have come and made the effort and want to work for you because they've enjoyed it, because it's hard work for them. And if you can't fully pay them, which you won't be able to if you're making a low budget, you can't give them big bucks then you've got to make things nice for them. And that means make things nice for everyone on set. I mean, you were on set, what, twice? And I think they were both fun days, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> they, I, I loved them, I loved them. Uh, and and it, But to be fair, and, and they, they could have been anything because I loved coming onto set and only doing one role. Yeah. Uh, because normally I'm... I'm the fucking, you know, I'm doing everything. You're me. Yeah, exactly. So I really enjoyed coming in and just being like, oh, so all you, <laughs> out of everything that needs doing, you only want me to do the camera and the lighting. Sure thing. That'll be done, like, and, now. Now, you know, yeah. it was but it really was. fun stuff, right? Because you were making a 90s um, TV studio show. Yeah. Which, you know, you knew that it could be fuzzy it's going to be fuzzy on youtube so you knew it wasn't a high pressure whatever you got we were going to be able to use but yeah yeah i made was... a couple of little decisions you know yeah, i had some room great decisions and it was it was really nice for me to to not to know i didn't have to worry about that bit yeah i had to sort out the crisps the covid shit that i had to deal with honest to god nightmare 
Because oh. this was May, right? So COVID hit around February, March time. And I think we'll be filming May, June. We something shot like that. studio in August. Oh, August. Oh, okay. Which for the first year of the pandemic, it was still pretty rife in terms of like, if you were going to do any production, you got to, everyone's got to do temperature te- tests, uh, sign yep. documents, some health and safety things. And yep. I had to get insurance and all that. Um we were supposed to distance and everything, but I mean, you can't do that on a set, can you? you? Just didn't. No, I mean, are we allowed to say that? Is that going to we... void your insurance? No, it's fine because we we've done it. But you know, actors are allowed. You know, they and they were at the time as well. If you if you're in a scene with someone, they're touching you, then you have to touch them, right? You can't fake that. Well, I think um, neighbours in in Australia. I think they tried attempting to do. They uh, did social distancing filming i haven't seen any clips so i'd be fascinated to see it so it was really interesting so there'll be a really sort of a, a blip when we watch soaps in the future that when we look back at soaps from now and everyone's suddenly like really far <laughs> away from each other or the shots are at a really weird angle so so they are far apart but they don't look like it um there'll Everything's be a, yeah. shot on a long lens so it kind yeah. of squashes the space they stop doing that quite quickly when you, you how limiting it is in terms of storytelling to keep people far apart yeah, I never. I was filming throughout the whole pandemic. Uh, I I only stopped if it was a lockdown in which they said you're not allowed to film. But that was only for me. That was only twice. That was the first lockdown, and then the December winter lockdown. Otherwise, yeah. I was filming the whole way through. And there was only one occasion where a client said, "I don't feel comfortable filming with another actor." Yeah. Right. Rightly or wrongly, it felt like everyone kind of knew. You're agreeing to this, right? You're agreeing yeah. to being in a space with someone. You you can't really turn up on set and then be like, hold on a minute. We're not all social distancing in this tiny little room. It's yeah. like, well, come on. I mean, you're doing everything else. You're doing, like, we got temperatures, I think we had to do it twice during the day. Um, and we had, you know, so much hand sanitizer and all the rest of it and masks and as much as we could. No, it was really fun. Besides me only having one role, which I found lovely and... I can't wait for the next time where I can be on set and not be, you know, in the firing line, which probably won't happen much, but I do enjoy those moments. But beyond that, you had a really good set. You had a really group, uh, good bunch of people. Your casting was spot on. I thought all everyone in all the roles were lovely. I didn't have any issues. And, and they yeah, were so... funny, right? They were so funny. Yeah. Yeah, I think you got about four or five takes from what I did that I thought, well, any of them will yeah. will, will be fine. It was, in fact, it was, every single one was so funny that it was really difficult to choose a take, which is, again, why we ended up mixing up a bit from different takes and, um, you know, covering up cuts by having video fall out and all that kind of stuff. You don't notice, you just go with it. You assume, yeah. you assume that it's, um, so your ne- your next film that you've sort of alluded to before in our previous chat is a, is it another desktop film? No. Is it, um, is it, but it's something yeah, so it's going to have elements. So I feel like our brand should be this sort of innovative, clever use of storytelling, technology, different um, st- sort of almost multimedia. So we've got, you know, cut, you know, cutaways. A PowerPoint film coming up. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> um, videos from the past, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's what we're going to do. But it's just too, it's just too hard making a desktop movie, making the whole thing. It just, it does restrict your storytelling you have got limited ways to where you can go um so we're doing it's still got a technology angle 
It's going to be about a YouTube ghost hunter. It's going to have a cursed film in it from the 80s. But so, told sort of half between... Half, yeah. Sort of, live action. Yeah. I'd say mostly live action, but with a bit of online shenanigans. How are you looking forward to live action filming? Because obviously we did a little bit of it, but it was only two days, wasn't it? So out of the whole shoot. I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. And I will organise the shit out of it. And I will have... Hopefully we'll have money, so a bit more money than we had for this one. So I'll be able to get someone who is responsible for food. So it's not just me going around, who wants what from KFC? (laughs) (laughs) How are you going about finding money for this film, if you don't mind me asking? So we've been approached by a producer who's really interested in in helping us find funding methods. Um, Malcolm, our lawyer, is also a producer and he's interested on coming on board again to help us at the beginning and look for funding. I had an investor just come to me out of nowhere and, and talk to me about getting gap funding for tax credits um which is really complicated and boring but um basically every british film made can claim back tax credits um but it can take a while but there's fund there's funders now that will calculate what those will, will be and lend you that money and then they take the money from hmrc right. so um there's a bunch of things and I'm not paying for it myself this time. I might, but if we, if Terranet makes a bit of money, I'll put it back into the, the next film. Uh, yeah, so I've just got to write it. it. So it's nothing, nothing concrete yet. I've got. It's like, like you, you were saying, it's forming in my head. It's been forming in my head for a few months now. Yeah. Um, I want to enter in, into a, a Story Labs. I think it's called Stowe Story Labs or something. There's the Women in Horror um, Story Labs in America. And so I need a pitch deck to, to send them in two weeks' time. So I'll, that's what I'll do. That will be my starting point. I like finding stories now using a pitch deck. So what is a pitch deck? So a pitch deck is kind of, they're also called lookbooks. It's basically a visual um, method of, of selling your idea on paper. Um, so pictures, synopsis, outline, logline, characters all of that kind of stuff, but sexily packaged like you're a proper marketing person. Um, lovely pictures and nice fonts and all that kind of stuff. But you have to sort of build it. So you start off with your title page, then you've got your log line, then you've got your sort of tagline. It's unfriended meets Ghostbusters, whatever. Then you've got your um, outline. Then you sort of pitch the world. This is the world it's set in. It's set in the 1980s, blah, blah, blah. Then you've got you know pitch the characters. So you're as you're building up like an old school treatment, but it's helping you to find your story. So normally you only make them at the end of the process when you're trying to sell your thing, but I now make them before I start. So they're almost the equivalent of uh, like pin interest allowing yeah. you to like kind of save images. So you're yeah. kind of going. So it's a way of right discovering the story by looking yeah. through images by. Yeah. And you're it's also really highlights where you're missing stuff. So if you've done like you've done loads on the synopsis, you've got this great picture for the outline, whatever, and you get to character page and you leave it blank for a while and go on and do something else. That's because you haven't found out your characters yet. It's not quite working. So it's a really good way of honing where you need to do the work. Yeah, I think I need to come up with a better a better way of kind of formulating ideas like that. So that's that's really great because I think. Yeah, you do all the work of writing a script and then you realise the, the things you're missing from the script once you've written it. And obviously that's a lot of work to kind of go through. But I feel like it's the most 
conducive to my my way of wanting to work, but maybe not time wise. If you, if time's a factor and you're trying to get shit done, you need to be a bit more yeah clear in what um, you're doing. The best example out there on the old interwebs is the um, Stranger Things pitch deck. Um, if you Google that, it's easy to find, um, and it's absolute. It's a thing of beauty, and it's astonishing how little words are on it. It's all sold. They make it look like a 1980s Stephen King novel. Um, it's gorgeous. So maybe even like a comic book style type thing. So you're kind of following panels, or is it literally just? It's a collage a of uh... yeah it's just a page just collage yeah i mean the best thing to do if you is try and find one big picture that says the one thing you want to say about that particular bit of the story so it's almost like a poster the first first page is almost like your poster um so gorgeous picture perfect font i spend my time collecting fonts now i've collected a whole load of fonts <laughs> i'm such a font nerd um, but horror in particular has got, there's loads of fonts out there that suggest horror just by the fontiness of the font. Um, so yeah, that's, and everybody's asking for pitch decks now. Netflix won't take a pitch without a deck. Is it just because it's quicker than reading? Yeah. So it's Nobody just like you can just read. look at it. Yeah. And they can look at it on their phone as well while they're rushing around from meeting to meeting. If they like that, they'll ask for the scripts or the sizzle tape, you know, you know, whatever it is you've got to sell. The more visual stuff you've got, the short and sweet, the better. Um, also make, means you've got to hone your pitch right the way down. I think... What's it really about? Yeah, because I imagine these people are just getting endless oh requests for reading and yeah. looking at my script and looking at my project that they want to kind of get a vibe from it. It's almost the equivalent of a showreel before an audition. Maybe yeah. it's like kind of give me a, give me a vibe, give me a sense, and then if I'm interested, I'll call you in because yeah, do the next step. Right. Um, so reading a script is a massive thing, right? It's huge. Yeah, it's impossible. Like I've just posted a script today, um, and I couldn't imagine if I if I just especially because it's social media, what it would take for me to just see a random person posting a random script to me to think, oh, I'm going to give that a go and just read it. No, nobody's ever going to do that. I've had a few people, but but I wouldn't. So I, I don't really expect anyone else to. It would take someone like yourself to to send it to me and go, hey, can you do this for me? Yeah. For me to go, okay. But I'm not just going to yeah. <laughs> pick up a script and read it because I, one, don't have the time. And like you say, that's really fucking hard to do. To get any real sense of a script, you're not maybe even going to get it in the first read. Unless the script is like the most incredible thing that is just like, you know, I read the script to um, um, Back to the Future. And that, fair enough, you can read it and kind of get the whole world because everything is so on point. Yeah. Everything is incredible. So you wouldn't have to. But for anything else, I kind of feel like you'll probably, it will take one read of it to kind of get a sense of it to then go back and do it again, right? Yeah, so I do script consultancy for, you know, as a way of making money. And I read scripts three times before I sit to get, give back notes. And do you think if they'd given you a pitch deck, you'd maybe only have to read the script once? Yeah. Because you'd, you'd already be vibing, Yeah. oh, this is what they're going for. So I'm trying to find out. So on the first read, I'm trying to figure out what is this thing? What's the intended audience? What genre is it? I'm trying to figure stuff out, which is why I then have to go back and read it again. Um and normally because the scripts are coming to me, there's something wrong with them. So I'm trying to figure out what it is that's wrong with them. 
so yeah, why would you read some random person's script? <laughs> you've you got. Well, gonna... I know, I know why they're reading it. Because they want to, they want to roll. Oh, okay. That, yeah, that's. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a, it's a quick pro quo, right? They're, yeah. They need to read it in order to get a roll, right? Yeah, they well, they want to see basically if there's any character that goes for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, actors read scripts in a totally different way, don't they? Yeah, they're looking at it like, oh, this is a potential product uh, project. If I tell him I love it, he might cast me. Yeah, basically, I, I imagine they're all actors who have said they'll read it. But yeah. <laughs> which I don't know if it's a good thing because they might all come back and be like, oh yeah, it's amazing. Can I have this role, please? It's like oh, that's not the sort of feedback I need. No. And also, it's annoying if actors give you notes when you haven't asked for them. True, but I'm putting myself out there. I'm, I'm happy to hear notes if I've put a script out there. Like, that's kind of why I'm doing it, is for someone to kind of say, no, this is shit, or not necessarily notes, but whether there's any sense that it's worth making. Yeah. But I, I'm, so I don't do a pitch deck, but I was clear to be like, I had like five or six keywords that I thought, well, I've got to put these in there because people aren't going to know what this is like you say, until about page 50. They yeah. might not even know that it's a comedy or a drama or because it all kind of happens. So you kind of have to tell them before they've watched it. So that's interesting about Pitch Deck. I've never really thought about it that way before, but that's that makes sense why, that, why that's important and why we've started doing that because yeah. it allows the reader just a sense of... Because they might even not read the script after watching the Pitch Deck because they might go, well, that's not something I'm interested Absolutely, in. Then. If, yeah. if they're all the images you're giving... And that's they'll where know, you're at. They'll know if it's if they've got a place for it in their catalogue or you know on the on their channel or whatever. If it's suitable for them, they'll know that straight away. They'll know you know all of this information that then they can go and read the script and they already know it. They're comfortable and you know I know this is a horror comedy because I've read the pitch, pitch deck. So it the takes thing the I'm away. The thing I'm interested um, struggling with at the moment is this other feature that I've written that is a World War Two feature is that I don't think I, I know the pitch deck yet. I've written the script and I'm going to do a second revision of it because someone has fed back on it and the notes were really interesting and it had, they have helped me. But I, thinking about it now, don't have a pitch deck. Like in my mind, I couldn't instantly throw you up a few images. So maybe that's something I meet, maybe need yeah. to do. Yeah, you, you should be able to know straight away what you're going to Google to get those that first page image. You, that you should know you're moving it well enough. Hmm. I don't, so. Yeah. Because like, so you say World War II movie and I immediately think of certain films, you know, like um, 1917, et cetera, et cetera. That's not World War Two though. No, that's World War I, wasn't it? Because... <laughs> war, that... right? Yeah, um, yeah, it's war. It's men in uniforms. Kind of but, but, but I've seen sort of war movies where it's romantic it's about romance so that picture would be very different from an action war movie or you yeah. know if it's a story about you know long distance love and you know that picture it's got to say what world war ii it's got to say war in one way shape or form but it's also got to tell me what kind of war story is because for someone like me i don't like war movies i like i don't mind movies that are set in war they've got to have a proper story they can't just be about the war um because it's boring, right? So I'd need to know, is this going to be a drama? Is this going to be, you know, comedy? Is this going to be action? What is it going to be? What else has it got in it apart from the war? Because that's all you've said is your war movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to do your job for free, so I don't necessarily want you to consult 
on my idea because this is currently your evening off, so we don't need to go there. But I was, I guess, I was just making a point how important it is to kind of know your movie before you set out to make it. And if you yeah. don't, that's probably an issue that you're going to face once it's too late. Yeah, maybe when you realise, yeah. you know, once you've filmed that you didn't really know what it was, and now yeah. it's all messy and kind of uh yeah all over and, the place you know and you might have got money from someone and then you found you've made a film that's different to the film they gave you money to make then you're going to be in trouble right if someone thinks that they're going to be selling a world war ii comedy and then you deliver this really sad film they're like what am i supposed to do with that i'm sure that happens a lot yeah i'm sure it does but then they're not going to get rehired so my my intention is to make myself rehirable. And you mentioned earlier about hopefully you're not going to spend this money, your money on this next one, which I think is, I've said this before, I think that's kind of the aim because at some point you've got to accept that this is a job. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of filmmakers are scared to have that attitude because it kind of almost says, well, at some point you're relying on the fact that someone might say no to you. So mm -hmm. if you're constantly throwing your own money into the next project, then no one can say no no to you, right? Because you've yeah. got the money, you're going to make the next one. So you see your money back, great. Now you make the next one. And it's this conveyor belt of you using your own money. And personally, I kind of think that's that's not the aim. The aim is for someone else to pay for it. But yeah. you're producing a film and a product that they are happy with and they want more of. Yeah. Because as much as we all want to be artists and kind of have our kind of, you know accolades for how incredibly talented we are it's a business yeah so if your film doesn't make money who's how are you making the next one yeah absolutely i mean you know it was i'd never i didn't know we were going to make a film that we could sell i wanted to give it a go i didn't know exactly what the film was and we were making it it was, it was brilliant to do it because you know we didn't have anyone controlling us telling us what we could or couldn't do but it you know, I had to pay for it in order to have that privilege. And you're right, it is a job, it is a business. I want to be paid to have that much fun. Um, so you've just got to, be, you've got to be savvy about it. You've got to get business-minded. You've got to, you know... And Which is like, really yeah. hard if you're yeah. a creative person. But that's what I do in all my little jobs anyway at the moment. You know, I'm a development producer, so I have to come up with ideas that are tailored to whoever it is we're pitching to this week or next week or whatever. Um, I'm not, not just blue sky... Oh, let's do a TV show about dragons. You know, it's got to be, I've got to think cleverly. I've got to think, what are they looking for? What hasn't been done? What has been done? You know, so you've got to tailor your thinking, which I like about being creative is that if you've got a blank page, anything could go on it. You're more likely to just sit staring at it, right? Yeah, it's, that's the hardest. Yeah. If anything is possible. I need yeah. boundaries. I appreciate boundaries. Like I was saying earlier about the house thing. Yeah. Well, you want a haunted house. We don't have one you've still got to try and come up with an idea yeah and that will be better than just setting it in the haunted house the easy option yeah so our, i often think our jobs as filmmakers isn't to do what's easy is to find a a solution to what's hard that's how good of a filmmaker you are is how you bridge that gap between what's possible and what's not yeah and i think anything's possible right if you put your mind to it pretty much yeah like um i i once made a short film where the actor who was in the next three days of shooting was ill. So I had a choice of whether I postponed the shoot. This was a short film, so not even a feature where you can think, oh, well, I'll pick this up yeah. and do this another time. 
and one of the axes was coming down from Blackpool, and he was genuinely ill. It wasn't like, you know, he was hung over or anything and didn't want to do it. He was seriously ill. So it was like, well, what do I do? So we, we as we were filming, were rewriting the script. Yeah. Writing him out of the story. And you might watch the film now and not even see where there could have been another character. No. Because we made it better by... Nobody knows how you got the shot. They just see the shot. Right. Nobody knows how you got it, apart from you. And I, I don't think the film is necessarily any good. But in my mind, I'm like, I, which no one will acknowledge, I did an incredible job, as well as the actors, in making it not obvious yeah. that that is what, of what, what happened on the day. And sometimes things happen like, you know, you, you lose a, a shot. You think you've shot something and it's just gone. You know, you just didn't save it right or whatever. And you just have to work around stuff like that. And that's what we do. So the end things that you see were probably not entirely what was planned <laughs> for low budget filmmaking. Um, I reckon like, even probably the bigger stuff as well. Definitely stuff happens that you, you can't have any control over and you have to work around. Definitely. We've all heard stories of they had to cut this scene out of such and such a movie and, you know, you go, oh my God, but it, you know, never even occurred to me that wasn't how it was supposed to be. So yeah, we, you can't control everything and stuff does happen and you just have to work around it. I've got a, an infinite amount of stories like that. Um, the Revenant, they, sh- they had to postpone. Did you know that? The Leonardo DiCaprio film, because where they were filming, there was no snow. It was, <laughs> it was the first time in like a hundred years where they were filming that there was no snow. And the film obviously needed snow. Yeah. So they postponed for a year. And in that preceding year, the director made um, Birdman. Right. And which won an Oscar. Yeah. So in between the postponement of one project onto the next, he'd made an Oscar winning film. And then they went back and filmed the following year. But that, that's where I'm talking about. That's what makes a filmmaker. It yeah. isn't following, oh, the schedules today is this. This is what we're doing. Okay. The sun's out when it should be in okay now what do we do yeah that isn't on the schedule one thing i'd love to talk about which may feel like a deja vu but i think it was super important and and it would be really i'd hate if we didn't touch upon it was the gatekeeping conversation we had yeah can you remember we were talking about perhaps young filmmakers or filmmakers in general are kind of led to believe that this kind of other world that's kind of at the end of your project is gate gate kept from you. Yeah. Can you remember how we kind of got onto that and what we sort of talked about? I can't remember how we got onto it, but we were talking about... Um, yeah, so I do feel like we're made to believe that there's this big industry that you have to get behind the closed doors and not everyone's allowed in. Um, and you have to work hard and do in a specific way to get behind the gate. But you don't. You just have to do it. I mean, lots of people would... Um, be envious of, of me because I do have certain connections, whatever. I didn't use any of them to get Terranet sold. to just, you know, got it sold. But I know people. I'm sort of in the industry. So I'm someone that, you know, people might want to know because I can get people jobs and I do get people jobs. But just don't, don't think that's the only way in. Don't think that's the only way in, you know. I think broadcasters still desperately trying to gatekeep and obviously... There's new kinds of gatekeepers like Netflix, or whatever. There's still another door you have to, to bash in, but it's much more possible now for anyone to go through the gates. These golden gates, mythical gates of. You're a filmmaker. I'm a filmmaker just because we make films. 
we might not be, you know, Tarantino yet, <laughs> but we're still part of the same industry. And yeah, the gates, the gates are coming down a lot more now with access. Yeah, I've been watching this thing with Joe Rogan. I don't know if you've sort of kept in touch with what's happening at the moment with that podcast. That I've kind seen of a bit it con- on Twitter. I don't know what your view is on it, but one thing that strikes me is they're trying to shut down someone. And by they, I mean the sort of mythical they, the ether they, trying to shut someone down that they know has too much power mm. and can reach an audience that perhaps the sort of mainstream media can't reach anymore um and or have control over or tell what to do yeah because before perhaps maybe 10 15 20 years ago someone like joe rogan or who had the power to reach the amount of people he reach reaches um could be shut down by like a threat you know your career i'll ruin your career yeah i'll release this piece of information about you but it's anything that he's got hidden he's probably been on the podcast in the last 10 years because he talks three times a week for four hours each time. So there's probably little about him that we don't already know. So they have no control over him. So, and I guess the point I'm trying to make is you're starting to see the fact that, okay, he's a comedian and he's, he was well known before the podcast because he did TV and things. So it's not like he was a, a total unknown, but there is an opportunity for people now to have their voices heard and for their content to be seen essentially with no control by any, Mm-hmm. any of these people and I, I we're just waiting for that to happen with film it hasn't happened yet but i think we're if, if it's starting to happen in other mediums journalism books publishing podcasts music it's only a matter of time before it happens to film but then it just becomes about talent right and how good you yeah. are at storytelling yeah because it's not about money anymore because you can make a film on your iphone you can edit it on your iPhone, you can shoot it on your iPhone, writing costs nothing. So it's not as if people have the excuse of, well, I can't afford to make a film. I think it's just time, really, that's the the one big thing that stops film from... So anyone can be a musician, you know, bedroom, rock star, whatever. It's very difficult for one person on their own to be a bedroom film director, right? Very difficult. You need other people and you need time. I mean, I'm pretty close to being a bedroom, one-person bedroom filmmaker, but I do need actors. I guess I could make animations and do the voices myself, but they won't be very good, but I still need actors. But, you know, I'm talking about doing or thinking about doing some feature films next year, once I get back off travelling, that are essentially chamber pieces with me and two actors and doing a whole series of them and trying to make a feature film by myself. It would be absolutely mental, as you would attest to, because of how difficult it's been, even when you've had people helping you. Mm -hmm. But I kind of wanted to push the boundary and see whether it was possible and how shit it was, how bad it comes out, or whether you can kind of... Because obviously that's what I do for a living, right? So I've I've been doing it for three years. It's not like I've never done it. I've spent the last three years working by myself, doing all the roles myself. So um, I think it's possible. I have all the equipment. I don't need anything. So it's not as if I'd be like, well, I need to go and buy that. I need this. I need that. I've got it all. Yeah. It's just a question of, do I have an idea and do I have two actors and is it going to be any good? And they're really the only questions that are now stopping anyone from making something. Yeah. I mean, people made loads of stuff during lockdown that that people had never made anything before. But I I want to make something that people do watch. 
Yeah, then you've got to write a good story. Mm. That's the only thing you need. A captivating story full of a, a scenario that people want to are intrigued by. Like David um, Fincher said that people are perverts. And that's one, one thing I, I keep kind of thinking about is try and tell a story that people are... We're nosy perverts as well. Right. So you just got to intrigue us straight away and give us a reason to stay with some characters in a room for an hour and a half. You think about something like 12 Angry Men, which is just a jury, you know, back, backstage as a jury trying to work out who done a murder. It's absolutely, utterly compelling. You, you know, you exist in the world of theatre as well. So um, that's what plays are, right? Essentially, yeah. But you've got to, you've got to give us a reason... Like, Terranet works as a desktop movie because it's an online ghost hunt, a team of online ghost hunting people. So it makes sense. It's not just a random um, Zoom movie that happens, you know, to be a ghost, got a demon in it, whatever. So, yeah, just come up with a good reason why we're needing to see the story play out in this way. And that's it. That's all we have to do. The nosiness of Terranet, you know, because we feel like it's such voyeuristic. It's such a voyeuristic film because we're on someone else's computer, and you know what it's like if you're um, next to someone who's got a computer up, and you don't sort of like looking at their. You don't want to look like you're looking at what they're doing. It's that nosy. We're so nosy. So that's where you've just got to just get us sucked in and let us think we're seeing something that we wouldn't normally get to see. Whether that's a couple imploding, you know, we're right in the middle of an argument and we get to see the whole thing. Or someone plotting something. That's we all slow down when there's a, an accident on the other side of the road, right? Can't help it, can you? Can't help no. it. And, I mean, you're probably like me because we're writers. Imagining all the scenarios that could have left up to that and who's in it and all the rest of it. How tragic it is, all the rest of it. So, yeah, we are nosy perverts. That's absolutely right. So just um, give us a bit of boob and some intrigue. <laughs> Less of the boob because I think you can just go on Pornhub. But it's... Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we did this hilarious thing in, in Terranet of almost giving boob and then it always being stopped. So right, right. Yeah, the cam girl kind of almost. Dave gets cock blocked all the time by his own life. Yeah. <laughs> so she strips a lot, and then then he gets a phone call or something like that. Um, Maybe we overthink writing. I, I I think we should probably wrap it up soon because we've done another two hours, which I know is absolutely incredible and. I've got to stop talking to you at some point. Um, maybe we overthink writing. Maybe we make writing more complicated than it needs to be. But it's just that, like you said, it's it's finding that story that makes people want to see and know more. The, the, we do make it hard work, but I always think it's really... Um, it never goes to waste. So all the stuff we did on character that you'd never really see on, on Terranet... We know about it and we, you know, it, it made our actors perform better and all the rest of it. We do overthink writing, we do, but, and half the time, nobody's going to see all the work you did to get it to that shape. Most of the time, actually, but it's worth it. And we're weirdos, aren't we, writers? We like to torture ourselves and characters. So there would be any bad. So bizarre. Yeah, it is bizarre. I can't. I can't even begin to tell you why we do it. Or, I mean, I'm. I'm. Pardon. Because you have to. That's the only reason to do it. Yeah, but where does it come from? Like, why? I don't know, why? but I feel like you're born a writer. I was always told, even 
sort of when I was younger by people I was working with, not always told, but I was told I was a thinker. I think I always thought about things like I, when I was a waiter, if a customer was an ass, I might go away and try and sort of dissect why they were an ass rather than just going, oh, well, yeah, they were a cunt, weren't they? I'd be like, well, why were they? Like, they can't just walk in and be a cunt. There's a reason why they've been mean to me in that moment or why they're... People just are cunts, Dan. Very rarely. Very yes, rarely. very rarely. Yeah, you're true. That's true. Most people, there's a reason. And I feel like if you can stay present with someone when they're being a cunt, you often break through very, very quickly. And yeah. it's happened to me a number of occasions where they obviously want an argument from you, but if you can just hold out and not rise to it, they will, they will then tell you why they're a cunt. They often apologise, right? And say, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. I didn't realise I was being such a cunt and it's just because I'm in a bad mood and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and then you instantly, oh, they're not a cunt, they were in a bad mood. Yeah. And I think that's where story, I guess, is interesting because you want to show the cunt. You want to show the, the journey of that person and, and let the audience kind of work it out for themselves and see that journey. Yeah. Right? That's almost, that's it. We've just yeah. sort of summed up potentially what a good story is, is, is allowing the cunt to reveal themselves to not be a cunt anymore. Yeah, that's that in a nutshell. That's a perfect character arc, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, what if when they're the hero, do we sit like the 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 Tom Cruise arc would be? He's not a cunt. He's a bit of a cunt. He's not a cunt, <laughs> right? But maybe really, all it needs to be like there's a guy, a writer that I listen to, and he can he reckons he can sum up every story in three words. Something goes wrong. That's every story, really. Yeah. Something goes wrong. So your character's going along on their path, their, their life. They're just doing what they do. They're just being who they are. And they have no idea that they're doing something wrong. You know, they are, if it's Jim Carrey and Liar Liar, he's messing up his family life by working too hard and lying too much, whatever. So something happens, something goes wrong, and then they want to fix it. But alongside that is what they need to do, which is not be a cunt anymore. But they don't know that yet. Because they were just living their life. They haven't thought about it. Something goes wrong that's made them think about it. They either, they make a choice. And then we have two different endings possible in every story. Is Do they stop being a cunt or do they carry on? Do they learn or not? And very rarely you have films where people don't learn. Very and they're rare. often the most unsatisfying ones, right? Yeah. Often we'll probably sit there and go, that, that was all right. Mm, yeah. That wasn't very good. There wasn't a proper journey. For me, what sprung to mind when you said that was, have you ever seen um, Shutter Island? Yes. That's almost like there's a fourth one there, or a third option, is that he's realised that he's yes. a cunt, and and then doubled back and gone, well, I'm going to pretend yeah. like I haven't learned that I'm a cunt, because I'd rather live uh, yeah, or I, not I, live. Yeah. I'm not... They make a third choice, you're right, in, in Shutter Island, but that, it's really rare... Yeah, I'm trying to think of others. Birdman is a really interesting one because it looks like he made the right choice, but he didn't. And it almost is a, but it's mm. all just a dream. Mm. Um, but they pull it off. Yeah, very, very rarely. You've got that's incredible talent to get the audience to that point where you can offer up a third yeah. alternative and they kind of go with it. Yeah. And on right, that note. They, yes. We, don't start me talking about you know story too deeply because I will go off on one. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really big on it at the moment. I'm reading this book at the moment called Wonderworks, which is it's underneath this, and it's the inventions and the science of stories. I haven't heard of it. Wonderworks. 
Wonderworks. I've only just started. It's a bit it's a bit hairy fairy in terms of his, you know, very convoluted language, and he, I think he's making it sound a little bit more darling than it needs to be. But yeah, I, I've recently I've, I find I'm probably more of a writer than anything else at the moment in terms of what interests me. Yeah, that's. I'm really looking forward to getting back into script mode because I've been wearing too many hats. So I just want to be in a story and stay there for a while. So when does that start? Like next couple of weeks, hopefully. So you're going to give yourself what this weekend off? I am giving myself this weekend off because, well, I say off. It won't be off completely. I've got an article to write, but um. I've just got like loads of work to do. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not doing what I've been doing, so it feels like oh, it's going to be off. I'll be able to do it with with tally on. So um. So no meetings, no calls, or nothing. Which is off, right? That probably feels like you're going to be off. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Great. And that was the episode with Emma. A huge thanks again to her for joining me, especially considering it was the second time we tried chatting. And thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to follow the podcast on Spotify and you can subscribe to our clip account on YouTube. Thank you again for listening to the episode and I'll see you on the next one.